Welcome to the National Affinity Cup podcast. Right, good evening or morning or even afternoon. And if you're listening to us, then I guess that it could be any point of the day, but you're listening to the second of the National Affinity Cup podcasts. I'm Nick Sanders, the team manager of Nightingale Football Club, and welcome to the second episode in what's going to be a long string of introducing them both ambassadors and teams that are involved in the competition. We're here to primarily discuss the National Affinity Cup, which brings charities and dedicated charity sporting teams together through competitive knockout football, but most importantly relies on teamwork to raise vital funds and awareness of one another's charities through each and every fixture. As always, it's time to introduce my two wingmen for the podcast. So introducing first in the blue corner, some call him the King of Essex. It's Spencer King from Essex Charity FC. And secondly, in the red corner, the man who owns more boots than the Kardashians. It's players captain of Nightingale FC, Jason Sanders. How are we, gents? Very well, very well. Very well. Although you've tagged me with the King of Essex, King of Essex, but I think someone else in this chat might claim that, to be fair. Well, it certainly isn't going to be us with these Brummy accents, so we'll get on to that. Um, all feeling good? Everybody happy with the uh, podcast last week? Very happy with the podcast. I think it, uh, considering it's the first one, and we're by no means any, we're not professionals at this at all, and I think the uh, exposure that we got from it and the amount of listeners that we got, I think was... Very pleasing for a first podcast. I think one thing that stood out for me is having um, Angels United on last week. And obviously they stand for anything that revolves around child loss. And seeing people that have reached out to them in the last week who have actually mentioned the podcast as well. And he did say last week, Ollie, that if we just help one person from the back of that, then that's one more person that has had that care and that support that's been needed. So it's really good to see that it has had a positive impact in that regard. Um, so as usual with the podcast, if you listen to last week's one, we have got the usual things that we're going to be in, uh, containing over the next few weeks. So the icebreaker to start off with, the guest Q&A challenge the weekly National Affinity Cup quiz, and then the story behind the guests that we've got on board this week. So without further ado, there's no better time to introduce this week's guest. And this week, it's not a team focus, it's one of our ambassadors. And I'm delighted to introduce actor and comedian, Charlie Wernham. How are you, Charlie? Hey, gents, how are we doing? Very not well, thank bad. you. So we're looking forward to this one. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's nice to, nice to get involved. Really nice. I'm not going to lie, Charlie. My missus is a massive fan and I've had to send her out the house because otherwise she'd be nothing but staring at the screen. So I've had to send her off to her mother-in-law's. Yeah, in my house, I've been told to go away by my missus and go in there. Go in there. So, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been uh, yeah, stuck in this room now. And is, is she a fan from the Emmerdale or the, the bad education background? Emmerdale. Hollyoaks. <laughs> Well, there's going to be a question relating to bad education a bit because I'm actually a head of Key Stage 3 in a school, so I was going to ask you a few things about whether the uh, character that you played, Mitch, or whether it was an actual role that you needed to adapt too much or if that's how you were when you were in school when you were younger. So we'll get on to that in a bit. Um, but the one question I did want to ask you was, how have you found lockdown and how has it impacted on your career? Because it's obviously very different from what we do. Yeah, um, 
I think it was a bit of a, a, bit of a cliche. It was a bit of a roller coaster. I imagine everyone went through it because you, you see, we say lockdown now, but it's literally been like a year, isn't it? It's been a whole year. Yeah. Of yeah. Strangeness. And I think I was, I was kind of a bit like um, when it first happened. It was sort of, uh, no, obviously last year, going into summer. I think it was like an adult's version of a six weeks holiday, wasn't it? Like having a. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my career, that is. I don't want to sound like sort of, you know, um, disrespectful about it. But I mean, a lot of people struggle through it. I know that. But for the first couple of weeks, it was wicked. We just had put barbecues on, drunk beer, it was in the, you know, in the garden, playing music. It was fantastic. And then obviously, very quickly, it, um, it, it starts to hit you, doesn't it? It starts to go, this is, you know, it, it's really strange out there now. And um, yeah, I think more. The more you watch the news, the more the sort of you know the more cases and the more deaths there was, and the more people losing their jobs and that like sort of especially over the Christmas period, that's when I, I struggled a bit. Um, obviously, very very lucky to have the technology we've got to keep in touch with everyone, but and uh, I'm very lucky to have my fiance as well to obviously share it with. Um, there's a lot of people that are stuck on their own, but um, yeah, I mean for me, it's been a, it has been a roller coaster, and um, I'm talking to my mates now, and we're all just saying like it's not even about the pubs opening now. We just want to get together. We just want to go get in the garden and have a few drinks or catch up or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, I've I've coped well, but um, yeah, it's, it's certainly taken its toll off in certain you know, places. And in terms of like the acting side of things, what impact has that had on your sort of day to day work and the connections um, within that? To be honest, I've been quite lucky in respect of I've still had quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of auditions and tapes to do. I see a lot of it uh, sort of before lockdown. A lot of it was done on tapes, uh, self tapes. So um, you know that's not particularly changed apart from you. You got to do it on your own. So that's a little bit trickier. Uh, a little bit more tricky than than having someone to read in with you, but um, so yeah, so that's been tough. But I've got a lot of friends who are in theatre now, which is something I've I, I have done bits of and, and would like to do more of. But I I'll go up for more TV and film. So uh, I actually have friends that had contracts, had jobs, had tours and uh, stints in the West End who had that sort of pull from underneath their feet, and it's 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 heartbreaking really because you know you you come out of a, a long running job or you might be your first gig or whatever. You know, you work your ass off and, and you know, you, a year, it could be two, three, four years you've been waiting for this job. You get it, brilliant, champagne moment, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's you're not doing it again. You're, you know, you're not doing it anymore. The show's not going ahead or the gig's not going ahead. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been disheartening for a lot of my mates, I must say. I've got a lot of respect for you in the uh, profession that you're in. It's, I must admit, when we were at school, drama was certainly not my strong point. So, uh, what, what, not at all, mate. Not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw my GCSEs out there, which you could probably. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally kidding you not. This is the lad that fell asleep in his graphics exam. Um, woke up with about 15 minutes left to go. Graphics. Um, what school do you go to? We don't even. Really <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had a great one at that. Blimey. <laughs> Out the only only things that I did manage to get in terms of seeing above drama was the only one where I actually managed to score an A on. So you know I am somewhat more of a drama queen than anything, and I'm sure my, my other half can say that. Nick can say that, particularly on the pitch when I get kicked, I'll go down like pretty much like Jack Grealish week in week out. Got the accent, so you're halfway there. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting there. Yeah, you I've just got to grow the hair and get the postage stamp. <laughs> His little headband, and he had that couple of weeks where he crossed it over in the middle like a plait. Oh, he's had the headband. Oh, I've, yeah, I've had the headband. That was last year. I also had a little little man bun growing through lockdown purely because of how long it got. And yeah, I've I've been there and 
wore the shirt, being called Jack and wanna be Jack. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah, it's bad. You're in your target before the game's kicked off. Oh yeah, yeah. Just to, just to make just to make it look even more exact, I do wear kid shin pads with very low socks. So uh, I'm sure yes. when 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 we come to play our friends over at Essex, Spencer, you'll be loving the uh, the look of that when uh, when you're marking. Did you say on you the wear board. low shin low shin pads? Um, you know what? It's a shame I haven't gotten to hand, but they are when I when I say they're kid shin pads, I kid you not, they are junior shin pads. I don't like wearing my, my philosophy behind that is and I've done it as a junior. If you're gonna wear shin pads, then prepare to, to for it to fail anyway. Because if somebody's gonna go through you and they're gonna do a proper job on it, yeah, shin pads won't matter anyway. They're gonna go through your shin pad and into your shin. So, you know, if you're gonna break it, just do it without it. It's less complicated for the paramedics when they turn up anyway. <laughs> I just make sure I wear my leather World Cup yeah. boots. I remember being young, a bit younger, and my dad used to play a bit of a uh, bit of football, and uh, he had these look like um, what batsmen would wear when you're playing cricket. That was the size of his shin pads. Yeah, it was yeah, 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 like little, yeah, yeah. And then that, uh, over the years, I mean, I mean, five years, been the size of a postage stamp, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a small shin pad person as well. I, I like small shin pads, um, yeah. and I just go for the top knot in the summer. So I, I joined that gang. Um, but I didn't have the greenish uh, thighs or body to go with it. I had the lockdown body. I went yeah. up full on pile on the five on that. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd kill for his calves. I tell you, they are just amazing. Yeah, his, his, leg, his legs are upside down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I was going to say it's a real privilege to have you on board. And um, I did mention the fact that I teach nine to thirteen year olds and age related stuff, whatever. There's a lot of them that I know watch Bad educa- Education and they did actually listen to last week's podcast. I got ribbed for it when I went in school on Thursday with the Year 8 key workers. Um, a lot of girls in there are asking about you as well, so uh, <laughs> we'll try and avoid keep asking you those questions. But as I said, when you were at school yourself, getting into that role as uh, Mitchell in Bad Education, is that something that you had to work very hard on or is that the kind of person you were when you were at school? I think I method acted for about 16 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it wasn't, uh, yeah, basically it was quite funny because all the stuff I got told to stop doing, um, I got paid to do. So, um, yeah, no, it was wicked. You know, to be fair, it was, um, it's a, it's a, I I love doing that show. Um, and every character, I remember like the first read through we done and, uh, I actually, I had the audition and then I actually went to quite a late read through when everyone, everyone else had actually been cast apart from one character they changed towards the end. And everyone, it was funny. It was very funny. And everyone was sort of, you go, okay, uh, she, you know, he's the idiot. He's the bully. You know, he's the geek. You know, he's he's the flamboyant one. He's, you know, uh, she's the slag, if you like. And, you know, and you know everyone's <laughs> their, their, their stereotypical role. But you saw it develop really, like, literally from, like, a couple of weeks of rehearsal. By the time you got there, you walked on set and everyone was in costume and everyone was just, like, their character. And it was just weird from everyone sort of doing a bit of acting, acting it out, so everyone actually transforming into their character. You know, and by sort of the end of the first series, it was just you just snap into it. It was a doddle, and it was so much fun because it was so relaxed and so easy, like so much easier to do than a lot of other things. So you just really, really took the time to enjoy it um, instead of having to literally be like, "Well, I'm working my bollocks off today." You know, I'm really, really, really doing that. Sorry, language there, but. Uh, you know, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so no, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had so much fun doing it. And we got three series, a Christmas special and a film out of it. So it was blinded. Well and I bet working with Jack Whitehall as well, I bet that was uh, something special. I love the guy. Yeah, Jack's great. Like me, big Arsenal fan. 
um so yeah no i, I get on very well with jack he was he, I mean, had great fun and um he's not too much older than me so when he's when he you know series one i can't remember quite how old i was and he was but sort of over the years he's, he's sort of so he's not too too far away from an age group as i am either so it was quite nice so we all were sort of on the same level so he's a big arsenal fan it was quite funny because uh Jack and the producer of Bad Education, Ben, they had season tickets and Jack had a couple and so did uh, so did Ben, so had a couple of tickets next to each other. There was quite there was one day when we were trying to rap really early and I couldn't quite work out why. So I'm always trying to fly through this, it's only four o'clock, we've got another two hours left, yeah? And then I realised we were playing in the uh, in the Champions League that night and I was like, <laughs> and because uh, you had me, it was a, it was a goon, and you had the producer, Jack, the first AD, the second AD and the ex- executive producer. So it was all awesome. <laughs> So uh, no one was going to moan about it. Well, oh, no, said, it. You, so so you said that, that you, you tried to wrap it up at four o'clock and you still had another two hours. So you actually do actually work till six o'clock then, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, I mean, it'd be rubbish now in the Europa. I mean, that's why I'm not working. As I say, I'm not doing any work until in the Champions League, just in case. Um, <laughs> But no, yeah, so we, I mean, bus say is a long day, especially for me. I'm I'm always a furthest drop-off. Everyone lives in London. So I'm always like straight in the car at like five. And uh, yeah, you sort of leaving, you're wrapping about half six, seven sometimes. So you're not getting home until nine sometimes in rush hour. But um, yeah, listen, it's, it's all part and parcel of acting. And um, someone said to me once, you know, you get, you don't get paid for the acting, you get paid for the waiting around and all the other stuff that comes with it. And uh, when you look at it like that, you know, it don't, it's, it's fine. It's part and parcel of it. So yeah, what's it what's it like now, Charlie? With like with all like, is is it when you're on set and things? Is it completely different with restrictions and and everything like that in place? Is it is it um, how are you finding that? A bit different this this third lockdown because yes, obviously the restrictions in place. Um, I don't particularly know what certain uh, show how certain shows are filming certain things. I know there was a, a lot of trial and error involved. There was a lot of perspex perspex screens. A lot of very rubbish fight scenes and a lot of very very strange kissing going on. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't touch or do anything, so it was a bit strange. But um, yeah, as I say the, the first lockdown, uh, they stopped it all together. But what's been nice is obviously your soaps and your shows have been able to resume filming, sort of this third lockdown and carry on. And I think it's important. And without being biased, um, football. I don't know what I'd have done if football weren't on, and that might sound as very dramatic. I, get, I look forward to the first game on a Saturday and the, the games in the evening, like um, I, I would have struggled if the football weren't on and I can guarantee my missus would have struggled if um, if EastEnders weren't on and married at first sight of Australia. It's important. I think it's been important to keep things going and a little bit of normality because there's nothing worse than saying I'm not doing anything, being furloughed or whatever. I'll put the telly on and there's nothing on. You know, it's awful. So yeah. the screen's frozen here, so it's all, we're, we're, this is the joys of podcasting. We're trying to see when someone's going to finish talking, and we've got, um, I don't know if it's part of your acting, but you've got a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant mime face on the go, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Um, one thing I'm going to do very quickly is there'll be a few people that get shouted out throughout this, and there's one person I do want to give a special mention to tonight, um, and my brother will be loving this right now, because I want to mention Pete, the Lord Nelson, who plays for Nightingale FC. He's a paramedic. He's been working his socks off all the way through um, the last 12 months and beyond. Um, but the guy is an absolute legend. As Jace will vouch on my stag do, he's uh, set new oh, standards in Marbella. Um, I think a few of us have got some quarantine things on our passport now. Uh, but he did did message to say, oh, Charlie's on. I'll, I'll watch Hollyoaks. 
Could you ask him if he's still in contact with Georgie Porter? <laughs> I don't, last time I spoke to Georgie, uh, she done me done me a favour because we, you, you know, we all had to do them. Well, we had about a year of doing quizzes we never wanted to do. Do you remember through lockdown? Oh, absolutely. Everyone doing a Zoom quiz, and it was my go, and I thought, and everyone actually, all the boys, all my mates, were trying to step it up, step it up, step it up. So I did um, a celebrity round where I got celebrities to ask a question. Oh, so Georgie done one, Jack done one, Matt Lucas done one. Uh, Mandit from Doctor Who done one. Jodie Craddock used to play for Wolves. Yeah. Uh, Actually, Wolvesy done one for us. Um, actually, a few others. I can't remember who else done it. it was, there was loads. We got I got loads of them. We done all the uh, yeah. We done quite a few uh, few of them. That went down quite well. But um, yeah, it was. I think we done about ten Zoom quizzes every Tuesday. Done a Zoom quiz, and after that, the boys just went. Should we just jump on FIFA? Yeah. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> the way to go. Fair yeah, like, stupid now, but yeah. So yeah, last time I saw it's Georgie, bless her. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a good thing about this game is that you know everyone can don't have to talk to everyone every day. You know, you can chat to people three, four months, a year down the line, and and people. It's, it's like you, you only chatting yesterday, you know. I think the Zoom thing, or whichever platform you use as well, I think it's something that we're all going to be using day in day out going forwards. I'm thinking of obviously yeah. with the job I do, we, we had kids when it was snowing up here saying we're never going to have a snow day again because you'll be expected to work from home. Although I'm going out in it, I don't know about you, but oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's madness when you think like I mean I, I, I'm in sell, I sell cars BMW wise and like everything we do now is virtual appointment, virtual appointment, virtual appointment, yeah. and you're literally talking to people. We can Zoom call, we can screen share. It's I don't <laughs> like like Joe like Jason. I'm I'm a I'm a salesman by trade as well, and my job is I, I used to go out a lot and see different clients and companies and, and and whatever. But now I just don't leave the house. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I I have I've had to put myself in the same routine every single day because I just don't go anywhere. And it's yeah. just ooh, it's a nightmare. But it's, no, it's what you're saying. I, I, I've got a couple of businesses, and it's and everything is Zoom, 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 and it's I don't like I don't like Zoom. It yeah. is. It is. <laughs> it's all right. I've got. I've got. I have to cut this bit up. I've got Jay still laughing at the fact that people's faces keep freezing on the screen. This is what I'm having to deal with week in week out. Oh God! It's been bad enough being in work with our 160 oh, kids. Putting on with this. Um, I'll tell you one thing though. You're saying about like the Zoom and the quizzes and stuff. We're talking to the kids, and we did a little thing this week in school about what things you're looking forward to most. And it was like seeing your friends and stuff. There's one lad in there and he really reminds me of you in Bad Education. I called Billy and I know he listened to this last week and he'll be over the moon that he's getting some airtime. But he said <laughs> the one thing that he's going to look forward to most is his dad stopping him from trying to force him to do kick-ups with a bog roll. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great challenge. Oh, it just seemed to last forever and it, the videos were endless. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get on with the football. So um, we'll talk a little bit more later on about the National Affinity Cup, uh, your love and your knowledge of football and what it is that's drew you to get involved in the competition itself um so going over to jason we're gonna start with the icebreaker yeah so uh going back to kind of how the icebreaker works um each week we come up with an example sorry lads i've got really professional this is i'm gonna say but you've dealt with some real pros before um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, actually, yeah. 
Right, so uh, while Jason retires to go and get some medical treatment, we told you he's a bit of a diva. Um, the icebreaker for this week we thought was quite a good one, and we've had a lot of people getting involved, people messaging, and they really enjoyed last week's one as well. Um, but this week it was, what is the best football shirt that you've bought whilst on a holiday? And we said real and subliminated fakes can both be accepted. So, Spencer, we'll start with you. Do you know what, mate? I'm going to be an actual real killjoy here. I actually cannot remember... And this is really bad. I can't remember me actually buying a shirt when I've been abroad. I just can't. I've tried to rack my brains, and I just don't think I ever have done. That's really bad, isn't it? That, does that class me as a fake? <laughs> does that class yeah. me as a fake football fan? Yeah, I think it does. It does, doesn't it? That's bad. Oh dear. Well, that's a great start with that flat oh, point, no. uh, Charlie. What about yourself? <laughs> I got, yeah, I used to love me football shirts, and I was uh, when I was younger. I said I wear them for training, obviously football training when I was playing, and um, yeah, and I, I loved any any sort of foreign kit and looked good. I my, my two favourites, right? And I've still got one. But my dad used to buy my football shirt. He used to go to all the Champions League games uh, that year. We got to the final as well. Arsenal got to the final, and he'd get me a shirt from everywhere he went. And he went with uh, his he went with his best mate, my mum, and their and his best mate's um, girlfriend, and. I don't know if I can say this, but you might have to cut it out if, uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm not allowed. No, go for it. <laughs> massive, massive boobs. Uh, and uh, she basically, this young lad, he was selling PSV shirts on the street. Um, he was selling it for like 20 quid, 20 quid. And uh, he kind of went, hey, you got massive boobies, have free shirt. And literally threw the shirt. <laughs> uh, and he got it and it was like, oh, I'll take that home for Charlie. So my dad got it, brought it over me and I've still got it in there because it was so big that uh, it still fits me now. And um, my other favourite was the old Barcelona away one, the old lime green one, the little highlight. Oh, yes. Had that. Yeah, classic. Yeah, I had that. But I mean, I've, got, I've got so many shirts I've still got that fit me now because, I mean, I'm talking going back to when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13. My dad had no concept of my size. So he <laughs> bought me, I think, oh, that'll do, two for the price of one, same size, and bought it for me, and I'm still growing into the things. John, <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you've said that about the size of the shirt because I'm going to jump in with mine because it links quite nicely to that. Um, I'll mention which is my favourite one, but before we do, uh, my grandparents, God bless them, they, uh, they used to go to Italy and Malta quite a lot. And it was in the era in the early 90s. I don't know if, if you'll have seen this, Charlie, but early 90s, the Serie A used to be on a Sunday, and I'm sure Spence will remember it. Football Italia on Channel 4. Of course, and it was, of course. Oh, it was the best one. It was, it was unreal. If, if anybody's never seen it that's listening... Give yourself a bit of an education yourself. Go onto YouTube, search Football Italia. And the way to describe it to you is it's not like Sky Sports. We have these live studios now. The, the programme would start off with the best introduction music you've ever seen. And <laughs> really famous saying at the end. And then when it would open up, James Richardson, who's on BT Sport, would host it. But what he did, instead of sitting in a studio, he'd be sat in like a cafe in the middle of Milan or Rome or Naples. He'd have like a pizza. He'd have like a massive broadsheet newspaper, a giant ice cream and a beer. And he'd just be chatting football and what had happened in the week over there. It was the biggest league in the world at the time. But I was obsessed with Juventus and AC Milan. And I asked my grandparents, I was probably only about five or six at the time. And I said, if you can, I'd really like a Juventus shirt. It was like I was pinning my hopes on it. I'd be the only one in school that got this shirt. Well, they delivered. But as you were saying about the shirt still fits you, the case with mine is the shirt still doesn't fit me. Because the only size they could get was like a 3XL men's. And I was like six years old. <laughs> So I've got this shirt with Danone slapped across the front of it. Del Piero probably spelt wrong on the back. Um, and it was silk as well. That was the best part. You could tell it was fake. It was full silk shirt. So it was uh, interesting uh, football shirts to try and rock up in, but it still doesn't fit. Yeah, the only shirts you can wear that is acceptable for them to be too big. Of course. Absolutely. 
Well, it's that or American football, but that's that's a different podcast, isn't it? Really, for American football, you can talk about. You see the size of American football fans. You think, how are they still too big for you? Them shirts. That's a bed sheet. No, you Super Bowl, and they they are huge. You get two of them in that. (laughs) You haven't seen the Nightingale squad. (laughs) So I'm just trying to flick back to history of my probably my shirts to be fair and i think there's a couple that stand out for me and why i think the first ever shirt that i ever bought uh, me and nick have had some some argument over this this week which was um and I, I, fellas please don't judge me when i say this i, I was very young uh first ever shirt i bought was in portugal and it was actually a portugal shirt um and i've always had a soft spot for portugal international as a squad um now, my argument is I'm, I'm pretty convinced that on the shirt I had Ruby Costa on the back. Nick seems to think it was just a plain shirt, but I'm, I'm sure I looked at some photos of my other half not long ago and it got Ruby Costa on the back. But nonetheless, I love Portugal and it's a nice family holiday, that kind of thing. It brings back those memories. But I think one link in, and I know Nick will certainly appreciate this, um, and it's a bit of a reminder and a nice link as well to our old man who who this week, it's been 12 years since we've lost him. So, you know, it's a nice little memory to him as well in, in everything that we do and love about football. He's the man that got us into the love of the game. And we used to go on holiday to uh, to France quite somewhat. And uh, Nick ended up following, uh, I, I don't know why, I'm sure we'll come on to it in a minute, uh, Bordeaux. Uh, myself, we ended up going to Brittany most of the time. We went to, uh, to Rennes once and uh, come across the stadium, went into the club shop. Still got a cap upstairs, never worn it, but, you know, still got a cap up there with that. End up wearing the shirt, bought the shirt, love it. And you know what? I've always followed them, always followed them as a club. They've had some good players over the years, done well over the last few years. Or I don't think they're doing so well this year off the top of my head. Yeah, I was going to say kind of like top end table, but not amazing. Um, but sentimental wise, and I think looking at a lot of the Twitter posts as well um, and speaking to people about this kind of conversation, it goes back to memories with family and stuff like that. It's beautiful to see. Um but yeah, I'd probably say my, my Ren shirt, unless there's another one that you can you can think of. Yeah, the only other one I can think of with Jace is I remember again being in being in France, so it's just not the wall through as well. You're doing really well tonight, Jace. I was gonna say <laughs> we're gonna have to edit the whole episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember again being in France and he bought the I don't know if you remember this, but the the loudest and rudest subliminated silk Monaco shirt. And it was like one of those ones that because yeah. it had like the the glittery pattern, if that makes sense. If you like held it away from you, it was like one of the magic pictures from the early nineties where you'd hold it up close to your face and as you moved it away, you'd see something in the shirt. But um, <laughs> go, going back to my absolute favourite, and the reason I'm going to mention this is that there'll be a lot of people who can link to this. When you go abroad, I love the fact that you have like the market stalls and everything else. But occasionally you'll have those stores where you walk in, and I remember us going to Ibiza in I think it was 1999. And we walked in and there was a store where all of the shelves were just great big Kallax box shelves, like pigeonholes. In every single one, it was stuffed with all the different fake shirts from all around the world. Um, and I remember it was the last week of our holiday. And I know Jason bought um, a Centenary Barcelona shirt with Rivaldo on the back. Yeah. And my dad wanted us to be locals, really, and try and get a Mallorca shirt or an, like the Ibiza shirt. And I saw a, a purple Fiorentina shirt with Nintendo across the front. Oh, and it had my all-time favourite player on the back, Gabriel Batistuta. And I, I don't think that shirt came off for about three weeks. I was probably like sent to the back of the plane on the way back from Mingin. But uh, <laughs> that shirt, even now, if I could find that shirt again, I, even if it's a fake, I'd be buying it. I think I, I can honestly say, I don't know if you, you guys are the same, but obviously Arsenal are my team. I've never, I've had Arsenal shirts every, like, every year uh, since I was born. Um, I've never thrown one away. Yeah. No matter 
how disgusting it gets. Absolutely. Yeah. Lot. No, I've, you can't, yeah. You can't fight away. This my my missus tries to do it because obviously she uh we're, we've been living together about three, four years now, and um, we're moving over. And I had bin bags of stuff, and she was like, "What are all these clothes?" She's lifting them up, and they're like for like five to six ages. And uh, <laughs> well, I'd, I'd lose my hair. She's like, "Yeah, but it's disgusting. Like dream casts coming off. The, the, the vinyl's coming off." And I'm like, "Don't matter. Don't matter. Stick it in there. Stick it the loft, and I'll look at it once every decade." It's all, it's all the memories as well. I love these people when they put posts up on Twitter now, and it's like when you see this shirt, who's the first player you think of? Yeah, you're like thinking of the most bizarre players that, like, if we think about Arsenal, like Nelson Vivas and players like that. And I just oh, think Carnu, Carnu, Carnu. I want, I want the answer from. Well, I'm never going to get it from Carnu, I doubt, but I just want the answer of how old that man is because he he, <laughs> he started at Arsenal when he was what probably like 15, 16, so ridiculous like that. And the rest. And he went to he went to numerous clubs, including Portsmouth, and he still claimed he was in his like late twenties when he was at Portsmouth. But yeah, he was at Arsenal for about thirty years, so I don't I don't, I don't quite know how that one worked. He'll be in Ocean Beach in about ten years, and he'll be. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How old are you? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 underage me, even though I was born before him. But it, it's amazing. I, I just remember when he was in the Olympics. Sorry, Spence. He's still playing for the under 18s isn't he? I was going to say. <laughs> that's what I was going to say in the Olympics. I remember when I think Nigeria won the Olympics, and he was playing for them at the time. And there were questions because you had to be under twenty-one, and I believe he was. There were people asking if he was in his thirties then. So. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to get on to some of the things that people have sent in this week regarding the icebreak. We've had some really good answers and some really bizarre teams as well. So, Jace, kick us off. Yeah, so uh, I think a good way, a good place to start. Another uh, another uh, Arsenal fan of the Guna here, uh, Brett Ellis from Nightingale, um, mentioned on Twitter um, he had a fake uh, Roma home shirt with uh, Totti on the back uh, from Rhodes. Yeah, in the um, So yeah, he has no explanation of it, but he managed to get one. Uh, I think we'll all probably agree Totti is an absolute legend. There is no understatement in that word. Yeah. You we, had the same shirt. My mate, when we played, uh, then uh, yeah, we oh, a year now. We had um, my mate, well, my dad's my dad's mate. His son uh, was mascot when we played played them in the Champions League away. So he got flying out there, and he was with with Omri and Perez and that I think. And I got an autograph from David Seaman. He was there, and he signed it. And uh, I don't know, what, I don't know if he was playing or, or he was there whatever but he was on he was with the team and he had uh i got that and yeah he brought a shirt back for us so yeah i can relate to that one nice if, if you go on to sky at the moment there's a really good documentary about totty they've made a, a feature-length film about him and you forget how good he was because he was in a yeah. side really that didn't win as much as you would have expected them to but the guy is like a god over there like there's videos of him going around the streets and he is genuinely there's people like bowing down to him as he walks past <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. The, the, the man's an absolute legend. But moving away from him uh, for a second, um, another one that we've had, a typical, another lad from Nightingale as well, Lijon. Um, a really strange and random team, this one. Sorrento, uh, he bought this while he was on his honeymoon. So I can only assume it might have been in that kind of neck of the woods. But he has, uh, for, for those that are interested, actually posted on the icebreaker picture uh, of the, the kit. And I have to say, it, it's beautiful, isn't it? I've seen that one. It's really see that. Yeah, yeah. It's very different, very, very different. But it's a lovely shirt nonetheless. Um, but yeah, I, I, other than that, I mean, there's there's a, there's a few other one kind of random ones out there. Real uh, Real Mallorca shirt in 2002. The real Ronaldo Barca shirt. 
So okay. Real Ronaldo, Barca shirt? Yeah, the Real Ronaldo. We're saying the Real Madrid Ronaldo. Oh, back right, in the right, day right, when right, it was right. Brazilian Ronaldo. Really really sorry, yeah. That, I, I, the I, trouble I, is, everybody else just calls him Fat Ronaldo and I feel it's a bit disrespectful. Yeah, I, I don't know whether you could call him the Real Ronaldo because I think the Real Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo himself. The man, for me, is a better player than Ronaldo. Yeah, it's well, tough. Talking that. different eras, aren't we? Nah, we're talking different eras. But if you're going to go an all-round player, I think Ronaldo is arguably. I, I think he's better than Messi for me. I, I, every day yeah, of the I week, agree. I agree. I'd rather have Ronaldo in my team than Messi because he does more on the ball yeah. and off the ball. I mean, I, no, I, I just want to go back slightly about shirts. So I do have a little bit of a story to tell. It's not. It's not about a shirt that I've I bought abroad. Uh, abroad, but. Um, it's about something that my missus done at the beginning of the season. So, Charlie, don't laugh at this, but I am a Bournemouth fan through and through. And if anyone listened to the podcast last week, they'd know that as well. And uh, Bournemouth released um, their new shirt at the beginning of the season. But because they were going through a little bit of a sponsorship change, they didn't put it on release. So you had to you had to pre-order the shirt and it took ages. And I kept banging on to my missus. I want the shirt. I want the shirt. I want the shirt. And she came home from work one day and she said, I've, I've bought you the shirt. I've bought you the shirt. I was like, oh, brilliant, brilliant. She said, I'll be, be arrived in a couple of days. And I just didn't think anything of it. And then she's, then when she said, um, when it's been arrived, I said, you do know it's still on pre-order, don't you? She went, no, no, I've bought it. It's on its way. I was like, you can't. You've got to pre-order it. Anyway, it turned up a couple of days later and it was a concept shirt and she thought it was an actual Bournemouth shirt. It just had like black and white lines with a big B on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> I want you wearing that next week. Yeah. Have, to, to be fair, it's quite a nice shirt, but bless her for trying. But yeah, so we're still already... waiting for uh, Rich's photo last week. So Rich, wait, we did call you out last week because you said that we found out that you owned a uh, Wigan shirt with Titus Bramble on the back, and we still haven't had that photo sent in. So you've got a week to do that before we come round your house. It's either that or when we return to football. Thank, thank you, government, as well for bringing grassroots back. You have made yeah. my life. Um, I'm sure everybody's in agreement with that. It's either that or you do a forfeit, mate, and that'll be 50 laps around the uh, the 11 side pitch, man. I'll kid you not, you will be doing that, boy. Whilst wearing your Titus Bramble shirt. Whilst wearing it. <laughs> um, two uh, final in, ones in I'm going to race through. Sorry, bud? In speedos. In speedos. <laughs> oh, no. No, you don't want that. Christ. We're a charity team. Um, two teams, uh, two other people I want to very quickly mention. One of them is uh, Andy Wilkes. He said that when he was in Dubrovnik, he bought a Croatia shirt, only to discover that even though it had Crancho on the back, it was fake. And he said it's definitely in the bin. Um, <laughs> but the other one is my good friend uh, Chris Hunt, who okay, Olivier Giroud. Yeah, it looks remarkably like Olivier Giroud, um, with a Dudley accent. Um, but he basically he said his is a bit different. He was on holiday in Torquay, so a UK holiday. But get ready for this for a flashback. Does anybody else remember Harchester United Dream Team oh, on Sky One? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Fletcher. Yeah, Carl what Fletcher. What a hero. What a hero. Well, I think I think that brings it up nicely. Um, so we're moving on from the icebreaker. We're just going to have a general chat just about things that we've noticed in the week in football. A um, few things that I've sort of tied down and, again, open air for anybody to chip in. Um, but the first one, and it's going to be passed into everybody, is the Premier League top four and the bottom three. So is there anyone that you think is going to be a surprise top four candidate who genuinely could stay there? And who do you think is going to go down? We'll start with Charlie. Um, yeah, it's a, do you know what? It's been it's been a strange season. It's been really exciting because I I thought West Ham and Everton would definitely have slipped slipped a lot earlier than they they've even started to look at like slipping. You know, what I mean, they don't even they look smooth. I've I you know I'd have gone another month month or two ago. I couldn't have seen them sitting where they're sitting. 
Um, so it's it's really exciting. I think for me, um, top four, I do think you're going to have you. you I think you'll end up with City, obviously United. Um, and I would, you'd have to say Leicester and Chelsea, I think, would be your top four. Um, but obviously Leicester has a few injuries now, so that'll be interesting. And then obviously your bottom ones, obviously Sheffield, um, West Brom and Fulham, although Fulham looks a little bit better in recent weeks. Very slightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you're too far away from that, Charlie, looking at that. I mean, I've been I've I've been literally listening to talk sport here and there through the day today. Um, when I can. And uh, some of the things that they've been talking about is kind of these conversations. And the, the only one for me out the top four that I don't think are going to make it are Leicester because they're, yeah. they're going through that that phase again where they've got injuries. Vardy's not on form at all. He's, I can't even remember the last time he put a ball in the back of the net. But you've got Madison that's out, not confirmed, I don't believe, in terms of when he's coming back. You've got Harvey Barnes, which is quite a bad injury. They're saying suspected April. Um, you've got it's that time of year, which it's the Brendan Rodgers slip, or should I say, it's the, it's the Leicester's the Leicester City slip. And I admire Leicester City. You know, I'm a big Villa fan, as we went through last week. But I admire Leicester City as a club um, and their players. But for me, I think they're going to bottle it again. I think Man City. You may as well just give them the trophy now. They're untouchable. Um, second place. I actually think Chelsea could scrape that the way they're playing under Tuchek at the moment. Um, really? That's a surprise. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I think when you compare form to form, the way the teams are playing, United, I think, will slip down. I still think they'll finish third, but I do believe the fourth position will be West Ham. On um, When you watch how they play... What's that? Sorry, mate. love that. I I'm, I'm, I'm love West Ham. Like, I'm an Arsenal fan through and through, but... I've got all my all my cousins and family are all West Ham. I I go and watch West. I've seen you know I go and watch them play. Um, I'm, I love West Ham and I follow them and I want them to beat everyone they play apart from Arsenal, obviously. But I'm, you know, I'm, and I want to see him do it. I'd love to see Messi in Stratford on a Tuesday night <laughs> <laughs> with like you know 70,000 skinheads shouting at him. I'd love it. That's not every football fan wants to see. But you know what though, they they are playing some really attractive football. They are under David I mean, Moyes. You, you watched that Man City game the other day, and I, I truthfully, truthfully believe when you watched the way that Moyes had gone to set that that game up, no other team in the Premier League would have set up a, a team so well up against Pep's team. I think it's down to sheer depth and quality of that Man City team that won that two-one game. I, I, I really do, and. I can't see any team that we've played this year, and that's Villa playing against, where I've looked at the team and gone, we are so off this club. I've never seen another side this year that looks so strong, and albeit we've got a couple of teams still left of the big the big top five, the top six clubs, whatever you want to call it. But me and Nick have had a, a discussion on this at, at some points through the week again, and, and I, I, for one, would love to see West Ham go into that top four, either them or Everton. I just don't think Everton have got the minerals for it, but... I think if West Ham gets to that top four, how how it will affect football moving forward is just brilliant because they've got a huge stadium, massive fan base, albeit controversy over the last few years of getting behind the club, that kind of thing. It doesn't matter. that The players do what they do on the pitch. Bottom three, um, Sheffield have gone already, regardless of beating us the other day, they've gone. 
Um, West Brom. You had to I bring think, that up, Jason. Yeah. I had to bring that up, mate. Yeah. Um, West Brom. I, I can honestly see them going completely, and I think it will be Newcastle for the third, yeah. uh, particularly after the yeah. news of, of Steve Bruce's uh, conference today. That was an embarrassment, if you ask me, to, to football and to, to managers around the country uh, with the Matt Ritchie scenario. So I don't know what other people think of that. But... It, it, it's not just the incident with Matt Ritchie as well. You've got to look at the fact that your main talisman in Callum Wilson's out. They've also yep. announced that they've lost Almiron and San Maximum for a month. I looked at their fixtures earlier and all the teams that are in and around them that you think they're going to pick points up, they're all within the next month when those players are missing. Their end of the season is horrific. They're playing all the teams near the top and then they finish with the final game of the season against Fulham. And imagine if it goes down to that last game. I, yeah. I, I think there's too much negativity around the club and uh, the double whammy with losing the takeover. I think it could go down to that last game. I think it could. I'd love to see it. I'd absolutely love to see it. Uh, Having been through that last year with the Villa, it was one of the worst days of my life. And I'm not going to say too much because Spencer's a Bournemouth fan, so we'll, we'll try and skate <laughs> over that one. Yeah, please do. Oh, I, I, I definitely, I definitely think... Sorry, Charlie. I say, yeah, well, it was only a couple of months ago. I'm sitting there thinking, blimey, Arsenal in a relegation battle. This could go down. <laughs> <laughs> that was looking dodgy for a minute, wasn't it? <laughs> it weren't great, was it? Um, <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, it well. It was quite embarrassing, people saying, oh, you know, I know it's all a bit of banter and that. People obviously living you're saying relegation battle. But then you read it in the in the news and the certain articles and that, and you think, come on now, you know, don't be stupid. We ain't going to be there in, you know, in a few months' time. But it was just a really strange start to the season for everyone. Um, it's kind of evening out now. You know, if, if the season went on for another, like, four or five months, you know, or even further, it would even itself out back to sort of where it should be. But what's been impressive is, like you said, the the uh, the West Ham's, the Everton's, and the hanging on and still looking really, really strong towards yeah, this. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I, think, I, think, I, I think for me, I think for me, I think I agree with you, you guys. I think West Brom and Sheffield United. I think they're just they're just nowhere near Premier League material at the moment for me. Um, and I, th- I think out of Newcastle and Fulham, I think I, I have to agree. I think Newcastle are the ones to go down. I just think Fulham are playing the better football out of the two at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree with that. In in terms of top four, Jace, I agree. I think you could pretty much hand Man City the trophy now. In fact, you could probably hand it in about four weeks ago, to be fair. Mm. Um, and it would still been theirs. I do, I do think Man United will, will finish second. I think they'll hang on. Um, I'll go for Chelsea in third and I'm going to scrape West Ham in at fourth to, check, to take that last spot just purely because I think they're playing I personally think West Ham apart from Man City are playing the most attractive football in the Premier League in the moment Absolutely. and I think one of the main reasons is they signed Thomas Suchek I think yeah, that's unbelievable signing I like think, think Baremi Martinez that is possibly the best signing of the transfer window that we've seen for this season the guy's a warrior. He just he just puts his heart on his heart on the line, and he yeah. just you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he'd do anything for a club. That's what you want to see as a footballer. Absolutely. You, know, you, don't, you don't want to see footballers like dancing around on the floor because they've been like hit in the face with a fly. Do you know what I mean? You want to see someone getting paid, doing their job for what they're paid for. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's what it is. You're Jesse Lingard, and uh, you get a phone call tomorrow saying, right, all contracts are out the window. You've got a choice. Do you go back to Man United or do you stay at West Ham for the next three years? Stay at West Ham. West Ham. West Ham. West Ham. All day. 100%. I know it's like, a, all right, it's a bit like the old Leicester, you know, winning the title thing. You're on a good run. It's still, you know, but when it all resets, can they do it? You know, when it resets for the next season, can they do it again? But 
you could build a really I've never been a massive Lingard fan. I've never rated him too much. Obviously, he's got quality, but I can't even add him in the Deli Alley bracket. But like, sort of, you know, you wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't want it to, you know, fall fall to him in a, in a big game. Do you know what I mean? You know, you, yeah. he's not going to run the game for you. But um, he's shown that actually, with a bit when he's a bit of responsibility put on his shoulders, he's actually um, he stepped up to the plate massively, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. Been to watch, it's been really good to watch. I think, I think it's very shrewd business by West Ham because I think they, they recognised that obviously Lingard was for a long time falling down the pecking order at Man United and obviously his confidence was really shot to pieces. So if if you as a player know that your confidence is shot to pieces but you're still wanted by another club, that can only boost your confidence. And I think that's why he's I think that's why he's gone to West Ham and he is he is in my opinion, he's looking the part at the moment. I think you you you've got to remember the Moyes link as well. Moyes obviously True. spent some time at United and Albeit he didn't have the greatest managerial time there, but actually, if you look at stats, he was, I think, it's second most successful since Ferguson's reign, percentage win ratio, that is. I just think he got done over too early by uh, by the board, which was disgusting, but that's another story. Um, I think, you know, players like that will have a relationship and will know them. And you can see it when he came to Villa Park, scored first goal back, back in the Premier League, you know, his first game in ages. First person he ran to, if I remember rightly, was actually Moyes. Like, there's, a, there's yeah. a relationship between the two and clearly he knows what gets him ticking. I think, I think for me, when we look at Moyes as well, I think when it comes to things like manager of the season, that's someone who's taken a hell of a lot of flack over the last few years. And yeah. to do it in a club where the board are notoriously difficult, I do think, and this is a really horrible statement to make, and I think Ollie might have made this comment last week, I do actually think West Ham have benefited as a club from the fans not being there. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way to a lot of West Ham fans. But as a club, I do feel that they are very quick. Like the Villa fans are very quick to to be very fickle and turn on the players. Um, and it's just nice to see them doing well. I do think myself it will be, I'm speed it up a little bit. I'm going to go with City top, United second, Chelsea third. Really, really torn between the two. I've just got a feeling Everton might pip it. Clearly because they've got um, Carlo Ancelotti in charge. I think you've got a serial winner there and he's done it at the very top level. And he's very good at eking out those extra points just to get them over the line. But it's going to be incredibly close. Bottom three. Sheffield United, West Brom, I think they're both gone. Um, and I actually think it will be Newcastle in the end, just because the way they're playing, the players that they're losing, and all the ill feeling towards the the takeover. I know there's been an issue today where they've failed in the, I think it was the court of arbitration, to turn over the, ter- the takeover Jeez. deal. Um, so that's another bit of negativity to hit the club. You've got Bruce coming out saying that there's a mole in the camp over the Matt Ritchie thing. And it's just, it's like a comedy of errors and you just kind of feel like it needs to be put to bed now. I, I actually feel really sorry for Steve Bruce because well. the guy's been through hell and back over the last few years, losing both parents. And it was at a time when he was getting some stick from some of the Villa support as well. But you won't meet a, a nicer guy in football. Um, moving on to try and speed things up a little bit. Um, again, I don't really want to mention VAR, but unfortunately, as we're going to be doing every week, there is a weekly VAR. And this week, it's going down very quickly to the Brighton Hove Albion incident at West Brom, if anybody saw that. So it was a free kick given on the edge of the box. The referee seemingly moved away. You heard him blow the whistle to take the free kick quickly. Um, I believe it was Lewis Dunk took the free it kick. Was, yeah. Yeah. Straight in, just as the ball's about to cross the line, the referee blow, blows the whistle again. And then there was a good five to ten minutes to decide whether the goal was given or if it wasn't given and then how they were going to restart play. Um, the goal was then not given and they restarted with the same free kick again. Um, that incident and the Chelsea incident this week where there was the handball in the box um, by hudson Adoy, and then you had Solskjaer and Luke Shaw come on afterwards. And I thought their comments 
when we're at a point where we do need to be backing the referees, we get VARs difficult. I do think the comments they made were quite borderline, border, borderline slander when you, you're sort of trying to say what the referee said out loud on the pitch. Um, what are your thoughts? I just, I just, I just think we have to remember that ref, like referees, they, they're human. They're going to make, they're going to make mistakes. Same with anything. Yeah. And I, I know, I know, VA, I know VA, VAR is there to kind of counteract those, those human error mistakes that the, the referees or individuals can make. But I just think it happens. I just think get rid of VAR. If you know, I mean, if a referee makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. Same bit. But I think when you're looking at that 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 Brighton game. I just didn't have a clue what was going on to begin that, with. That that I don't think, and my argument with VAR on that one is I don't actually think it was a VAR-related fault until they had to bring in the whole uh, Neil Moore. I think it was Neil Moore Pay was stood in front of the eye line of Sam Johnson. Now, how the hell VAR can see the angle of where Moore Pay was from the sideline to where Sam Johnson's eye line was is beyond me. I mean, that's that's that, that's magicry and wizardry in one. Um, but the, for me, what I would have probably have done is there's communication fault. That's what's happened. There's a communication breakdown between uh, the referee and whoever was on at VAR. And for me, all that needed to be done there was the referee should have had an instant look, lads, blew the whistle too early. I blew secondly after you kick the ball. That's it. That's what happens. Go to VAR and say, look, there's no need to review it. I've made a decision on the pitch. I've made a cock up. We're going back to taking the free kick again. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I, I don't know why VAR had to drag out the game again. Can you imagine if the supporters were back in the ground again? Oh, it'd be right. There'd be an uproar, wouldn't there? There'd be an uproar. I think for me, the, the, the whole thing with that one is that it's a load of rubbish. They, they check things they don't need to check. Like, oh, I've seen if the ball crossed the line before my second whistle. But it doesn't yeah. matter. Because if you you you're five minutes later, someone run at the pitch, it gets taken out. Next thing you know, he's grabbed the ball for a free kick. The ref ain't blowing his whistle yet. It's not a handball just because he ain't blowing his whistle yet. Exactly. So whatever happens first, you know. Um, for me, VAR works, but they're just not using it correctly. And and it all comes from one thing. And it, I did a refereeing course when I was younger, and this was like the first like level refereeing. And they said, whatever happened, just stick with your decision. Well, yeah, that's yeah, rubbish. yeah. That's yeah. rubbish. I think that's rubbish because. You know, all right, impulsively, our penalty, you know, you go talk to a line or whatever like they used to and you can, you should be able to change the decision. The idea is to get the right decision at the end of the day. But I just think the handball rules are ridiculous. They're changing that again, I think, in July. Yeah, uh, they are. As a July. That, you know, they've got to work. It's a tough call because it is a grey area, but they've got to work that out. Um, the offsides, for me, whether it's a, a millimetre or, or a yard, if it's offside, it's offside. So everyone needs to stop moaning about that, I think. I know it's frustrating. I really, I know that, but there's got to be a line somewhere. It's up the speed limit, isn't it? Sorry, officer, I was doing 31. Well, you've got to have a cut off, you've got to have a cut -off point somewhere, haven't you? Otherwise, <laughs> Absolutely. Otherwise, <laughs> you're serious, Charlie. You know, I don't know in that case, I might want VAR. You might get it overturned. <laughs> but it's just, it's for me, I think it's just, and it all comes from one thing, and that's this big thing that they that they put, the pressure they put on the referees to, to, to you know, get it right and be strong with it. Like you just said, there is nothing wrong with going, I don't know if it's a penalty because I couldn't see it. So hang on a minute, let me have a look. Let me have a listen. Let me chat. Okay, yeah, it is a penalty or it isn't. But it shouldn't take three quarters of an hour to decide if it's a penalty or not. You can, you know, I can see from before the lines are put on the blooming pitch, before the, you know, before the, the, they've looked at the screen for 10 minutes and had a chat and had a moan. and You can see if it's offside. You can see if it's a penalty. It doesn't take three quarters of an hour. Just get on with it. 
I, just, I, I just think the amount the amount of time it takes for them to make a decision, you, you're going to like later on down the line, you're going to end up with 90 minutes added on at the end. The worst, you know the mean? worst thing that's happened with VAR this weekend, and I'm going to move away from VAR from the whole subject because the decisions were made, they were what they were, whether they were right or wrong was down to the ref. But I, the comments from Luke Shaw and Solskjaer, I mean, that is it's so damaging to football. And you know what? People make mistakes, you know, we're human. I make mistakes in my job. Nick, you'll probably make them. Spence, you know, Charlie, we, we all make them. But to come out when pe- when VAR and referees are looked at with a magnifying glass and are picked at to every single thing they do, right or wrong, for Luke Shaw to come off the pitch and make the comments and say what he thought the referee had said to Harry Maguire, thought was absolutely disgraceful. Thrown him under the bus. He, yeah, he, he's thrown him literally under that bus. Whether it, I don't know what the scenario is. I don't know whether he's going to be refereeing the Premier League this weekend, whether he's dropped down to the Championship or whatnot for that, which obviously we know can happen. But I think the players need to take some ownership and look at themselves. And actually, for one minute, and I'm getting sick and tired of this debate of why we can't do it or can do it, just follow the rugby example. Respect your bloody referee, yeah. for Christ's sake. Yeah. Just respect the referee. It's so easy to be done to respect somebody that's got the commandment on the pitch. Brought upon themselves a little bit though, and I, and I agree with you. But the thing is, you, for the first thing they teach again in refereeing, yellow card for dissent, red card if someone swears at you. Tell you yeah. what, do that for a week. If you wait till seven players on the pitch, you see who, start, who turns up next week with a bit of respect. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just say, you know, start a new season afresh and say, we're doing it like this. This is the way we're doing it. If a referee tells you to go away and you don't first time of asking, you get booked. If you do it again, you get sent off. It's going to be a mental season. But I tell you what, within about six weeks, they'll soon sort it out. You know, they'll soon sort that out. Harsher punishment. Yeah. For the um, next topic, obviously, again, mentioning school. I'll try to get away from that and mention it all the time. But this week's been World Book Day. And it's that annoying week where I've got a two-year-old and he's gone into nursery. He's had to dress as a clown every single day of the week this week. Today he's been Superman. Um, And I've had fellow teachers dressing as all sorts of shapes and sizes. So I thought it'd be a good idea to ask what is your or what is the best football book that you have read? It could be an autobiography. It could be a storybook. But what would you say is the best book that you've read? We'll start with you, Spence. Um, do you know what? I think it was the, it was the, the, uh, best football book. Hard one, isn't it? It is a hard one. Yeah. I've, I've read a couple. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a massive book person, but I've read a couple of, of biography. Is it the Gerard one? Have you read the Gerard one? Did I haven't one? myself. No. Did he do one? Is or Gerard the wrong person I'm thinking of? There, there is a Gerard book. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is a Gerard one. I think, I think that was, I think, just listening to how he was when he was younger, what he went, what he went through, and talking, talking to when he was when he was younger and playing football, and and obviously being at the same club all the way throughout his life, um, and obviously some of the stick that he got later on as well. And I think that was one of the most interesting ones I've I've read. I don't, I've read a couple of the biographies, but I think for me, Gerard, I, I like Gerard as a person. I like him as a manager at the moment as well. Um, yeah, so that's probably the best one for me. I think I've got two, really. I think my first one would be uh, one of the Paul Merson books, Back from the Brink. Um, big fan of Paul Merson for, throughout his career, and I've seen him in a couple of like evening meals, sort of after-dinner speeches. Um, but when you realise what happened to him and all the stuff that he was going through, it's um, 
it's quite harrowing, really, when you read how bad he was and the compulsions and things that he was involved in. Um, one story, though, that always stands out for me, and I love this story, is when he was living at one point, when he was up at Middlesbrough, he's living with Andy Townsend and Paul Gascoigne. So you can imagine the parties at that place. And he tells a story of when they'd been on out, out on the lash with the lads and everything else. They got dropped back at Gaza's house. And Gaza had basically paid this taxi driver to sleep over at their house because he was worried they'd miss training the following day. So I'll pay you whatever <laughs> it takes. Camera. He was like, you sleep at my house, you wake us up and I'll pay you whatever it takes. He said, but what happened was um, Gaza had gone into the bathroom in the night and he put the plug in the sink and he turned the taps on and he left the tap running. And when he woke up in the morning, obviously the bathroom was like three foot underwater, flooded the lot. Gazza's woke up going nuts because like this water's that bad. It's gone through, it's gone through the ceiling. It's left a hole in the in the in the floorboard, and underneath was his billiard room. And when he's gone downstairs, he said the billiard table was covered in water. And Andy Townsend tells this story the best. He says it's when the taxi drivers like panicking that they're going to be late. He's trying to shove them in the back of the car, and they're trying to wrestle Paul Gascoigne from the billiard table because he's got OCD about the balls staying on the table he said no word of a lie when he's trying to line them all up the balls were floating off into the pockets <laughs> and the other book uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic I, I am Zlatan it's called some of the stories in there are nuts it tells you about um, when he was at Barcelona when Pep was in charge and he, he speaks quite ill of Pep and says about what a difficult person he is to deal with um, and there was one instance where the players were told that they'd all got to drive Audis and he decided he was going to turn up in whatever car it was. He got a Ferrari or whatever. And because of that, he was benched for the weekend and it was against Real Madrid. And he said to Guardiola, he's like, I've been scoring goals in training. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I can't believe you've dropped me. You start me and I will score the winner. And he said, didn't like his arrogance, kept him on the bench, got to about 75 minutes in, bought him on and he scored with the first touch. And as soon as he scored, he ran straight in front of Guardiola and that was pretty much the end of his career at Barca. Uh, Charlie? Uh, I'm not a big book fan, so I'm going to wait for Nicholas Pepe's autobiography to come out. That'd be a short read. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I like reading. I do like reading. I don't get enough time to do it. It's something I should do. Um, and I've got to be honest, um, I I couldn't even tell you a football book I've read. Um, but um, I have been lucky enough to actually, I did Soccer AM with Gaza. And um, and Merson as well. That was good. That was good fun. So um, so yeah. No, I had some stories in the ad breaks on there, which were which were which were really really good. Um, so yeah. But I, I must say, it is it's something I want to do. I want to read the Arsene Wenger one. I need to read that. That's that's probably next on the list. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've got to be honest. I don't do enough reading. Nowhere near enough. But um, and when I do, it's usually people in the in the film and TV industry I'm I'm reading about. But I, yeah, I mean, I think. It's, we're, we're all guilty of it, and we jump on YouTube, and you can find all Harry Redknapp telling stories and Gaza telling stories and uh, all that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm one of them. But lay there at two o'clock in the morning, searching Paul Gascoigne stories and uh, on YouTube when I should be sleeping. Well, yeah, I bet you're normally there at two o'clock in the morning reading all those bloody scripts, aren't you? That's what you don't like. To <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's funny you mentioned the YouTube um, videos oh, and the stories and stuff like that. So me and Nick were talking one, and he he named my book before I could name it, and. I was given a book, and I think it was by my nan and granddad, to be honest to you. Um, so I was, a, I was a, I think I mentioned last week, I was a striker, loved Henry Larson when I was a kid. Any striker that I could relate to and learn something off, I'd do everything in my nature to read upon, practice and train with my old man as much as I could. And Michael Owen uh, was another player that I absolutely adored when I was a kid. 
And he released a book, which there are very well-known videos on YouTube for some of his <laughs> Mickey taking towards children that he scores against. Um, and that's at Stoke City ground where he's doing I've this. socket. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You've seen that one. And um, I can't remember the training goalkeepers and ex-professional goalkeeper. Nick will tell you more about it in a minute, but his book was absolutely outstanding for a kid that, that just wanted to know more about football, how to kick a football, bend it the right way, that kind of thing. That kind of football got me, honestly, those kind of tips got me into playing with Birmingham. And I absolutely loved Birmingham City, that is. And I absolutely loved reading that book. And not only that, there was um, a pack at the back of the book, and Nick might remember this bit, which had a, a pitch and it had basically the greatest players at that time. But you had to select your best 11. And I remember this is where I started learning about the legends of Gianluca Buffon and um, Ica Casillas, Raul, for example. And I started learning more about these players and how they can change the game. What a book that was. Brings so many memories about that. I think going on about the YouTube videos, again, anybody listening who hasn't seen them, if you have a look at the Michael Owen Soccer Skills videos, to describe it to you, there used to be a Ryan Giggs uh, Soccer Skills program in the early 90s, and it sort of emulated that a bit. But the actual program, you'd got Michael Owen teaching you how to do things like volleys, and the balls were being thrown into him, and he was about 12 yards out. The kid who was in goal can only be... I mean, I can say this because I'm ginger, but he was a... short ginger lad and he looked like he'd never played in goal in his life in a full-size goal and you'd got Neville Southall the legend who played for Wales and Everton stood at the side Owen was screaming these volleys and taking this kid's head off and you've got poor Neville Southall trying to talk to this kid telling him how to be confident this kid looked like he was going to cry and um, I remember it got to one point where Michael Owen hit one that hard if you watch the video Neville Southall loses it with Michael Owen and it was never edited out and he's like just leave him alone he's only a kid and the next ball he hits it even harder at him (laughs) quite quite sore from michael that is um last thing i'm going to bring up for from the uh football topics is a really random one it's a bit of a funny story that popped up this week so i don't know if anybody will say funny um i'll explain why but lazio against torino this week in the italian league um lazio turned up to the game torino didn't turn up to the game they were still 430 miles away back home they'd been put into quarantine but the person who was supposed to let Lazio know hadn't let them know. So Lazio were warming up, doing the stretches, all the dynamic stuff. And it was 45 minutes after the game had kicked off that the game was actually postponed or suspended. And I believe there's been a walkover awarded. But it just reminded me of a really funny story of um, a really random player, a goalkeeper called Graham Smith, who played for Brecon in the Scottish League. And I remember it being on Soccer Saturday, but he drove 89 miles to play Stenhouse Muir to actually find out that his team were playing at home. So he had to race all the way back. And he, <laughs> he made it two minutes before kickoff and they went on to lose 2-1. But the funniest part of it all, when I did a bit of reading on it, just to remind myself of it, was his quote. And he said, I thought it was a bit strange when I arrived and I didn't see any of my fellow players. And Alan Grieve, our kit man, who's always there really early, was nowhere to be seen. When I saw another team arrive uh, with different coloured tracksuits, it suddenly clicked that I was definitely in the wrong place. I phoned my wife to find out where I should be. And using the joys of teletext, I realised that I should have been playing at home at Glebe Park. It left me with just under an hour and a half to get myself 85 miles. Luckily, the roads were fine and I arrived a few minutes before kickoff. Sadly, I had a terrible game and we ended up losing 2-1. And it just reminded me of those days when you used to go and play with your Sunday league team as a kid and your parents would be driving over the, the arse end of nowhere to try and get you to whoever it was you were playing. And- Oh. Well, at least he managed to play football. If we all recall the story of Peter Oddenwingy, who decided one day that he was too good for the Albion, who drove down to QPR to say, I'm signing for you, only for QPR yeah. to say, who the bloody hell are you? You ain't signing for us. What an absolute... <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you know? Do you remember the story? Harry Redknapp. So I can't remember who it was now. Harry Redknapp signed someone. I can't remember who's managing. Um, at the time, it must have been I think West Ham. I think. And uh, he, he signed someone. I can't remember who it was. I can't remember where I'm talking about it either. But they put him in a hotel. Um, I think it was Brazilian or Mexican fella. They put him in a hotel for a few weeks before he found his digs. And uh, they went, he didn't turn up for training one day. So they was knocking on the door, knocking on the door. He weren't answering. So they got the concierge to open the door. They went in there. The window was open. His clothes were gone. His bastard were gone. They haven't seen gone back home. <laughs> they never saw him again. Oh, absolutely awesome. Oh, I love that. Perhaps selling on feet wasn't enough. Um, yeah, that wraps it up nicely for that bit. So, um, very quickly, we're going to touch upon um, the Affinity Cup. We've got some exciting news to mention tonight. We've we've been absolutely overwhelmed with the amount of teams that got involved. And again, we said last week when me and Spence first sort of spoke about this idea, and we were talking about getting teams on board, we were sort of saying if we can get twenty to twenty four teams involved, um, that'd be some going like we, for a first one, just because of the travel and all of that sort of stuff. And it's just exploded from there. And we're we're pleased to announce that we've. We've closed the applications now just for the sake of the numbers that we're at. Um, we've reached 64 teams this week. 64 teams, perfect number for what we're doing. Um, teams all over the UK. And I've said before, we've got teams in Newcastle, the North West. We've got North Wales, uh, the West Midlands, right down into London, Essex, South Coast. And it's been a it's been a real pleasure speaking to all these different people day in, day out. We, are, we have had a couple of people who've tried to apply late. Um, so what we have said is if there is anybody who does sadly have to, to drop out, then we will be able to be in contact with those teams to get them involved. But one question we've been having all week is people saying straight away, oh, well, when's the draw? When are we going to know who we're playing? And we're as excited as you. But um, we've said from day one that this has to be as professional as possible. We want it to be a hallmark and an inaugural tournament that grows to become something really special in years to come. So because of the FA guidelines and everything else, Spencer's just going to explain to you a little bit about the affiliation deadline um, and then just going on to the proposed draw date and how that will work. Yeah, absolutely. So as as Nick said, um, I think to to look at where we are now is just it's just uh, for me it's it's just a great achievement, and it's just testament to some of the work that goes in up and down the country from all the charity teams that are involved and and those individuals that are involved with those charity teams. So it's a testament to those um, those, those guys really for getting involved, not not for us. Um, but the other point I want to make is as as Nick said that we we have to make sure that we're doing this with the utmost professionalism as we possibly can. So one of the things that we don't want to do is we don't want to rush. Um, if we rush, we make mistakes, but obviously we, what we do have to remember is that we're still in the middle of a global pandemic at the same time. So with a national competition, we need to ensure that there's going to be, um, no, or as limited interruptions to the competition as possible to allow people from travel, to allow a team to travel from area to area to play each other, to fulfill these fixtures. So if, if we rush that, um, of course, then there, there may be some interruptions that we don't want to have. So as Nick said, that we've got 64 teams up and down the country, uh, up from Newcastle all the way to the south coast and beyond as well. Um, we did also have um, some teams from abroad ask us to uh, ask us to play, but obviously logistically that's not possible. Um, but you never know for the future. Um, so in terms of the competition start date itself, um, as I said, we because of the FA regulations and the rules and the sanctioning, um, we have to run it alongside the traditional or the uh, the usual grassroots season. So the tournament itself will start in September. 
um, and we are looking at drawing each round every six to eight weeks. Um, the reason why we're looking at drawing in the rounds that far apart is purely because we're all charity teams. We all do have um, existing uh, projects and events that we all take part in as well. So we want to make sure that the teams can still uh, facilitate those other events that they that they do participate in. So, um, and obviously because it's a national competition, what we don't want people doing is is having to travel every other week because um, obviously it can get costly. So I think six to eight weeks we'll draw every single round. That will also give each team um, the ability to be able to fulfil each fixture on a date and time that's suitable for both of them rather than us having to say you need to play the fixture on this date and that time it just gives everybody a little bit of flexibility which is very very important with charity football in terms of the draw itself um, so in terms of uh, the locations so what we will be doing is looking at regionalizing the earlier rounds of the competition um, now, obviously, there will be some element of travel within those regions. Um, we said from the start that we will try to limit the amount of initial travel, but there's no way possible that we can avoid travel. Uh, travel. Um, it's just logistically impossible with a national competition. So we put each teams into what we feel is a reasonable region. And I know me and Nick have been working on this quite hard over the past couple of days. Um, and it's been a nightmare, Nick, isn't it? The, the regional, oh, we, we, regional I've, I've spent a week with VAR learning how to draw lines on a map to try and work out how I can separate everybody. And it, again, it still hasn't worked. So it's it's, it's an absolute nightmare. But um, we've done what we feel is fair um, in putting the teams in, into these regions, again, for, for travel purposes. So we'll run through um, what those groups are in a minute. Um, but in terms of the draw date itself, Again, we are looking at doing a live draw as well. So that'll be live on social media platforms. And we will be drawing the uh, first round, I believe, Nick, was it the 5th of June? I believe. Yeah, it was. Saturday, Saturday, the 5th of June. Um, that's when we're planning to do it and just go through, um, again, regions and stuff in a minute. Uh, we do want the draw to be as professional as possible again. So we will be trying to get it onto as many platforms as possible. We are looking at getting somebody to um, film it to a point where it will be streamed across all platforms for everybody to get involved. And as Spencer was just quickly saying, the the foreign teams that have been in touch, it was a really nice touch from some of the teams. We had um, a team called Prague Raptors who try and do a lot to reach out to teams over in the UK. They've got over 50 nationalities within their team. Um, and they really want to be a part of it. So you never know. It could be that we have the winners of this going some sort of UCL tournament afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um, yeah, I, I think 64 teams is is a massive achievement, um, and it's way, it was way beyond what we originally expected. So thank you to everybody who applied um, to take part in the competition. Um, so, yeah. We'll start the competition in September um, and we will draw the first round on the 5th of June. So make sure you look out for that. And we'll, of course, keep everyone updated as we go along. Reason as to why, you know, the separation of June to September as well, not only does it give everybody time and that flexibility and all that kind of good stuff. The other thing I think it allows everybody to do is we let's face it, we've not had meetings in large groups for over a year. Yeah. What this summer will allow us to do is actually go and see our loved ones, albeit we love our football, but we want everybody to focus mm. on the things that matter. Now, I foresee the image of July, August, the Euros kicking off, us being able to go to the pub, go to the you know summer, summer gardens, whatever it be, pub gardens, 
drink, have have a few drinks with your friends, have a few drinks with your loved ones while watching England go and lift the Euro trophy, hopefully. And it's I think that's happen. one thing that will be beautiful to do. I, I have good faith. But I yeah. think we, we've also got to remember that some of the charities involved in the tournament are literally involved in people that aren't able to see one another. We've got charities where we've got people who have been ill and have had to stay away from other people and other stuff. And this should be the time for healing now. We've had a year of, of hell, let's put it that way. Um, initially, we need to be able to see one another and then go from there. And then the whole point of the Affinity Cup is bringing it all back together. We say the word affinity is people sharing a cause for a, a progressive purpose. And that's why I think September is a realistic start time. Obviously, again, things will be always in line with what government guidelines are, FA guidelines. But we just want to make sure that we are doing absolutely everything to as professional a level as possible. Absolutely. So, Nick, shall I run through the groups and which teams are in those groups? Yeah, of course. And anybody who's listening, um, any questions or anything, obviously you can send us DMs. We get back to you. There's always one of us that's on there. Even in the early hours, me and Spence usually talking football so and looking for YouTube videos of Paul Gascoigne. So uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, so we'll uh, run through those now. Perfect. So, um, as I previously mentioned, so we split um, the country into, into regions um, and we split it into six groups. So, I'll just run through those very quickly. Um, as Nick said, if, if anyone's got any questions of that, just drop us over a DM. So, the group number one will, will consist of teams um, located either on the south coast of the UK, inclusive of London as well. So, there's a fair few teams around this region um, and a few good teams as well. So, just quickly running through them in that region. So, we have um, Hampshire Charity Football Club, we have Friends Fighting Cancer, Sands United Solent, Sands Brighton, Men United, Sands Kent, Truck United, Wanderers, Let Us Talk, The Rose, People's FC, London Fire Brigade, Betty's Blue Boys, Dacha FC, Ultimate Eleven and Stanford FC. And I think that's quite a good group, that one, to be fair, boys. Um, so we'll have to look out for some games in that one. Group number two, so we've split this in teams from Essex, Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire. So again, another another lengthy, uh, large size group, but we've done the best we can to make them even. So these teams will consist of the Bradley Larry Foundation South team, the B&D Ref All Blacks, Break of the Silence United, Every Man Matters, Sand United Essex, Mates FC, Springfield Road, Make a Difference Charity Football Club, Essex Charity FC, Estudiantes FC, Kick Alzheimer's Football Club, Player Packs, Green Machine and TCTXI. Group number three. So group number three is the Midlands region um, and we've included teams from the Nottingham, Birmingham and Lincolnshire areas. Um, so we have Yardley Gobbian, Stillman FC, Football in Mind and Nightingale FC. We also have FC Santi Solihull, Team Footprints, Underdog FC, Dawson Warriors, Sleaford, Broadley FC, BHF FC and Full Time on Cancer. So what do you think about that group, the Nightingale boys? Uh, interesting group there. Some uh, tasty little ties in there, some well-known established charities in there and a lot of new teams in there as well. So that'd be a yeah, exciting interesting one. I'll just go back to the last group you said. Just one sure. team I do want to mention is the Wanderers Football Club. So anybody who isn't aware of who they are, they do a lot of work for charity now. But originally the Wanderers Football Club, 
Um, they were one of the founding members of the FA, and they also won the first ever FA Cup. It used to be called the Football Association Challenge Cup. They um, did. But they beat Royal Engineers in the first ever FA Cup final in 1872. So it's amazing that we've gone from the very founders of football to now the, the founders of the National Affinity Cup. Definitely. Definitely. It's a very, very good team to, to have in the competition. Um, so thanks for them for getting involved. So next group we have is Group 4, which is the Northwest Re- uh, Northwest region, so consists, consisting of teams in and around the Manchester and Liverpool areas. So we have Heart Warriors, we have the North Wales Dragons, the Hospice of Good Shepherd, Rover and Out, Raising Spirits, the Mersey Maraders, Angels United, Infinity Initiatives, Totty Robbins and Fishwick Rangers. So again, another very good group there. Um, group number five will consist of teams in around the Yorkshire area. So we have supporting charities, Mind Over Matter, Sand United Doncaster, X Tigers, AFC Yorkies, Lads FC, Sand United Hull, and Brownies FC. And last but not least, we move way up to the country so we have our last group group six which consists of teams in the north it's a smaller group of four teams so we have cancer care fc the bradley larry foundation north team northumbria police and lastly if you care share so again we've done what we can to try and make those groups as fair as you possibly can uh, whilst making them equal as well uh, i think there's some really really good groups there and um, what are your thoughts gents I think for me, just going back to what we've said, we all the way through we've done this as best as we can to suit everybody that's involved. And there has been a hell of a lot of work that's gone into it around our day-to-day jobs to try and make sure this is as accurate as possible. I know that when you potentially look at some of the teams that are in your groups, there might be a little bit of travel involved. But as we've said from the start, we've tried to minimise it as best as we can. But the further you progress through the rounds, that's that's the reason you've entered a nationwide competition. And the idea is we want people to network with people around the country. One of the things we've not been able to do is travel. So it's going to be nice for people to go to different areas of the country, get away from their day-to-day, four walls around them, and and meet new people and share stories. I, I, I think another thing to add to that is, I, I think we touched on it last week, this isn't, this sounds bad for me saying this, this is not just about the charities that we represent. It's about the people that spend their their full-time jobs with the families in the background working day and night on their charities individually as a club and everybody that backs the club and the players that play for the clubs. I think this tournament is really about recognition for that as well. And, you know, we, we, we being me and Nick are very, very new into this Nightingale that, that, that we come from as not even, we haven't even kicked a ball yet. We've trained, but we've not even kicked a ball on the pitch yet. And the work that we can see out there from other charities that have gone out there, we are just, I, I can tell you now, we're mesmerised by how hard people work at it. And you know what? Proud to be a part of the family of, of charity community across football. And I hope, I sincerely hope the FA recognise this tournament across the UK. Because I, I really, I can't think of anything this big going across the UK that has ever happened for charity football that has recognised people for doing what they do. And thank you to every single person and club out there that has represented themselves and put their name forward for this. And not just that, that keep doing what they're doing for charities every single day. So fair play to everybody out there. Yeah, couldn't agree with that more, Greg. Jace, well said, mate. Okay, now moving on from there, obviously Charlie's with us today and we're really privileged to have him on board with us as an ambassador for the competition. So we're going to go into that in a little bit and test his knowledge on a bit of football as well. Um, But first, I just want to ask you, so your story yourself, um, growing up, has football always been 
something that's been really close to you or is it something that you developed a love for slightly later on um and did you play football throughout school and like even now throughout your acting career yeah football for me um i i can still remember my first ever time going to a, a training session um and i literally it's only still local to where i live now football for me is always uh, been part of my life absolutely loved it um still do i'll i'll play it i'll watch it I'll, you know what i mean i'm saying for most sport but obviously football uh, is probably the biggest part the biggest sport in my life um yeah for me i played football growing up at school um i played for the same team for most of my life i started off for a team called intersport went to a team called red wing um had a, a few trials at billericay and and things like that at a very very young age and it was just kind of just one of the things when you when you're really young you kind of um you just you're playing purely for for fun do you know what i mean your parents take you for for, for a fun bit of exercise and to meet people but for that saturday or sunday it's like the most important thing in the world in it that hour an hour and a half however long it is and uh, i say i got unfortunately i got right injured um when i was about 14 15 done ligaments in my ankle it was one of the things that never really repaired um and it was it was just in a training game as well and um yeah it's one of the things that they never, ligaments are rubbish you just don't repair um so I, I i wanted to be involved in it some way i could refereed for a bit that was that was good um and then i did that for I said for a bit. I did it for a season, and it, I, I couldn't do it because I just I felt so jealous of the people playing. It was actually annoying. Yeah. Um, so I then yeah. So I went. Um, I was very privileged through uh, the acting career to actually go on and um, play lots of charity charity football. Played a lot of charity football. Um, I played at the King Power. Um, we played. Uh, yeah, we played. We played all over. We, we did like weekends away, and we'd go. And the Hollyoaks had a really good team and all really really good team and uh, i think i must have played 20 games for, for holly oaks and i don't think we ever lost one never oh, lost that's incredible really really good some really good players uh for the team um so that was great that was i don't know i love playing that and so i got to play some good grounds my favorite game i played was um i played at jody craddock's testimonial at molyneux uh it was uh wolves versus sunderland so like kevin phillips matt murray um oh, and it was, it was just after they got promoted so um, yeah, they had about, about 15,000 fans here as well. So that was quite yeah. incredible to have the, have the roar of the crowd and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, uh, Mick McCarthy was managing us. So that was interesting and all. Oh, um, big uh, it was, you know, <laughs> so to answer your question, I try and play it any, anywhere I can any, uh, and get involved anytime I can, still playing with five a side. Um, I get asked all the time to go and play 11 a side, but you know what it's like when you get a bit older? Um, Sunday football, it can get, especially if it's not charity football, it can get. You know, you, you can get idiots, can't you? Can just try and take a bit too seriously, and you think, "Come on, mate, you're 35, you're overweight." You need to be, you need to be tugging my shirt. You know, we've all got work on Monday. Calm down a little bit. So it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it gets a bit like that. But you know, I'm, I'm still, I love charity football, and uh, what you guys are doing is incredible. Um, I was talking to Dean as well at Essex, Essex Charity FC, um, and I, I said, like, I've played a lot of charity football. And it really does, you know, it's a big cliche, bring people together, support great causes. Um, and you say, we're talking about people traveling and I'm sitting here thinking, do you know what? It, people love their football. They love their charities. That's why they do what they do. Um, and it's gonna, it's not gonna be a chore for them because people are just gonna be so excited to go and meet a load of like-minded people that do what they do, share the same passion, although it be in different fields, do the thing they love. Um, with the people they like and hopefully you might you know draw some crowds out as well to go and support the people that are doing the supporting 
you know, all these years. So, um, yeah, to, 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 to answer your question, football will always be in my life. And I'm, I'd love to get some minutes for Essex Charity FC and all if that could be arranged. So, so Charlie, that, that was my Obviously, obviously, I run Essex Charity, so a little birdie told me that you're on the verge of a major signing for Essex Charity FC. Can you, can you tell us if there's any truth in those whispers at all? Well, it might be another moment where I drive down to the ground and uh, ask to sign. They say, who the bloody hell are you? <laughs> 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 um, mate, I would absolutely love, love to play. I'd absolutely love to. If you'd have me, I'd 100%. I'd... Uh, um I'd, I'd get right involved and, and play as much as i can do the traveling and everything I, I, I love my football and i love and i love um supporting good causes and that's exactly what you, you guys are doing that's what i would love to be involved in it even more so so so, Jim, so, so, so can i put this out there now then that Char- charlie wernham is now officially an essex charity fc player Manly exclusive talk sport here we have charlie wernham signing for essex charity today <laughs> <laughs> What we want to yeah, do right here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I want to literally. I want to. I want to come down as soon as lockdowns or restrictions are lifted. I want a shirt. I want a table. I want a contract, and I want. And I want to do that. Charlie, you, you have my word. I will sort that for you. No problem. We'll make that happen. We'll make that happen. So, if you're friends with Harry Redknapp, can we get a video of him driving up and uh, pulling the window down and just breaking the news <laughs> before you sign? Charlie, word of a Nico Crenshaw. That's it. <laughs> Get the boys back together. You watch Char- Charlie Wernham's going to do a Peter Odin wingy. We're going to turn up and go, who the hell are you? Exactly. <laughs> what we'll have to do is we're, we're trying to sort fixtures, as you can imagine, like all the other charities that are involved in this, trying to rearrange fixtures that have had to be cancelled because of everything that's gone on has been mad. Um, but I know that Essex is obviously our primary fixture for Nightingale because we've we've just always got on from day one and it was always going to be our first fixture. So it would be really good when we do get that one in the, in the pipeline if we can uh, potentially get you down for that game. Mate, I'll be there to say I, I, it's just like I love football and I, I love the, what you guys are doing as well. I want to get involved and um, you know supporting everywhere I can and you know I, you know, I love my football and it doesn't matter where you're playing in the park, you're playing on the ground, it doesn't matter where you're playing. I, you know I love I love it. I love to get involved and um, especially with people we get on with and like and want to be around. It's even better, you know. So the last sort of question involving the the National Affinity Cup. As somebody that's stepped on board to become an ambassador and you, you've sort of answered bits of it, but. Um, what do you think the sort of end goal could be for this, or where do you see this competition going in the next few years? Um, it's there is no limits. Of course, there isn't no limits. You know, this it's such a such a really really good idea, and um, as you've seen, as I've seen today, sort of, you know, we know the work that goes into it. But even you know how professional it's all going to be. You know, it's keeping. You've got you've got a tough tough task in your hands because obviously you've got the pandemic you're in the middle of a pandemic like you said and people want to get moving with it but um and the most important thing is is, is how professional it's all going to be the fact that um you've got teams all over the world uh, so all over the um, all over the uk and now people coming from you know europe and abroad and all over the world want to get involved it answers a question for you it could go worldwide you know you guys why not you know have um cups in each country and then you know the winners of that you know the reward is you go to another country and play another team and things like that. So um, I, there is no limit, absolutely no limit. It could be something that everyone knows, um, and you know who knows you could have, have it televised. You, just, you know what I mean? There's, there's there's no limits to it. You know we all football fans. If you're a football fan, you watch any football game, and um, I think yeah, there is no limit, and I can really see it taking off. Whether it's you know next year, the year after, five, ten years time, I think there's is you know 
it's going to be successful um, and there's no limit to, to how far it can reach, you know. Definitely. I think the TV comments are really good one. I think for me it's it's important because I think I think I'm, I think I touched on this last week that charity football in general is, in in my view, it just gets brushed brushed under the carpet when mm. it should it shouldn't be that way, and I think it should play a major a major part in, in not only grassroots football but in in the football community as a, as a whole, and I think there needs to be more recognition for the hard work that goes in. For, for these teams up and down the country because it is a full-time job and that they're doing so much to raise exposure for the charities and raise raise much needed funds specifically in this in the, in the times that we're in at the moment and I think what we're trying to do is 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 give the charity football a platform that we can all come together and uh, raise money and do what we do for one shared purpose and I think for me I think it's it's it's, it's giving it that platform I think if you ever watch Sky, uh, get you know, I think it's about four o'clock Sky Sports Golf. There's something called the Trilby Tour, and it's amateurs who pay to play a golf golf tournament. It's exactly like the PGA Tour. It's exactly like the European Tour, and um, it's just amateurs playing an amateur competition for a good cause. Why not have it on Sky Sports Football? Why not have it on you know Sky Sports Extra, whatever it might be? There's no reason why you can't have the highlights from 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 the games that month or you know every every week you can have it on um it's, people will watch it people will watch it and people want to get involved and there's no reason why that can't happen so i just think keep plugging away and it will come i think it's yeah. funny you say that about the tv side because um i had this conversation today and it was the most surreal moment of uh recent times really for myself spence and jace are aware of this but uh there i was sat at home working on just an online lesson in front of like, 160 kids came off it turned the laptop off uh, phone went and I had a, a number that didn't recognise. I don't usually pick those numbers up. And I said, I could have Euro Millions, Postcode Lottery, phone me to with millions. I never picked the phone up. Um, but I picked it up today and the voice on the other end of the phone, it sounded sort of an older guy and didn't really know who it was. And I kept saying, oh, who are you? And he was too busy trying to get it onto FaceTime. When we finally cracked it and we got it onto FaceTime, on the other end of the call was uh, Big Ron Atkinson, absolute footballing legend when it comes to managerial yeah. side of yeah. stuff in particular. Um, but he'd heard about Nightingale um, and he was actually on the other end of the phone wearing a Nightingale shirt and I will go on about the video in a second but what was really nice is I ended up talking to the manager that was the first manager of Villa when I first started going down there um, but I was on the phone to him in a video call for nearly an hour and it was just us chatting football pure passion for the game lives local to where we are and he said I just wanted to commend you on what you're doing um, first and foremost for the Nightingale thing because he's had his own things with hospital and so on but when he heard about the competition and I got explained uh, all the, the ins and outs of it and what it entails, you could just see a guy there that's lived and breathed football all his life. And he's getting on now. I mean, I don't know how old he is now, but reflecting back on his football, he said to me, he's never known of anything like this before. Um, but he thinks the, the growth potential of it's massive. And he actually said himself about the media, he said, when there's people paying ridiculous amounts of money to be able to watch their own professional football club, Imagine having a free-to-air channel or one of these localised channels showing the games from that competition, wherever it is. Um, but having the option to donate to the teams that are playing in the game, like you see these things where you text in when it's soccer aid, um, there are ways and means of doing it. And it's not saying that's definitely what we're going to be doing, but um, hearing it from yourself and hearing it from people like Ron Atkinson who have been in and out of the game for, for years, it, it, I think it can be really big. And the fact that we're getting support um, further afield than the UK as well, who knows? So we're just going to keep chipping away, make it as professional as possible and enjoy it. If the club's pushy enough as well, they're in, you know, and it's only like when we did our charity football matches, um, 
you know, it had nowhere near as much organisation as such. It was a one-off game, so it was a lot easier to organise. Um, but the idea was to money to raise money on the day, you know, to get a few thousand people there to watch. So if they can really, Absolutely. really push, especially as the rounds go on and say, come out, we're in the quarterfinals, the last 16, the lot, however, whatever it might be, come and watch, come and, you know, away fans, come and travel with us, bring your friends, bring your family. You can drum up a couple of thousand people into the ground and the money that they, you know, everyone will be happy to put their hand in their pockets to support the people that, that do amazing work every day is, you know, you can make even more money and raise even more money on the on the day as well. It's just to say the, the possibilities are endless of where you, how much money you can raise and how much joy it can bring people. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. We couldn't really sum that up any better. And it's this is the message we're wanting to get across. It's not just about the teams involved and, and what they're doing and the people who are behind it. It's about the friends, the families, the people who have been involved in things that link to that charity. Um, I know we've got a lot of people who play for our side that are NHS surgeons and paramedics. And some of the stuff that they've been through, their friends have been through. I know that the Royal Orthopaedic Hospital, who sponsor our uh, primary shirt, um, they've actually had a lot of their day-to-day staff that are working on the wards order the shirt. And it's just little things like that. You think you're building a community of people that are like-minded. So um, thank you for that. And again, it gives us more positivity. And it's really nice to hear someone like yourself saying that. Um, what we're going to do now is just give you a bit of a, a pre-quiz warm-up. So we said about the fact that you've played when you were younger and you were saying about you remembered when you went to your first training session. This isn't going to be one of those sort of Soviet Union-style warm-ups where we're getting you to do press-ups, burpees and all that sort of stuff. I'm just simply going to ask you a few questions and they're just your own opinion. There's no right or wrong with this, so it's just a warm-up before the quiz. And you've just got to give me your honest answer. So a quick-fire Q&A. Um, who's your favourite international side that isn't England? Uh, Iceland. Ooh. And is there any reason for that? Is that to do with the tournament when we played them? Yeah, just the atmosphere that their, their fans had and how well they done. I just think it was they brought joy. Apart from when they beat us, uh, they brought joy to uh, to everyone that 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 year. And that that was a, a brilliant sort of scene, wasn't it? The more with doing the hand clapping in the, yeah. uh, in the stand. Oh, it's brilliant. They've started a trend off around the world, haven't they? With that, yeah. That's the yeah, thing. everyone does it now. That's it. They've got their own little bit of identity. I'm like, yeah, I'd have to say them. I'd have to say them. Um, Barcelona or Real Madrid? Barcelona. So just any particular player, or is it just the style that they played? Yeah, I, I, I love. I, I was always a Messi fan, and I love Barcelona. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough when I got to see him play at the Emirates when we beat him two one. Arshavin scored the winner, and I was right at the front. And I remember all the goals were scored down our end as well. And um, that was incredible. Uh, but yeah, Barcelona, I'm going to say, we talked about shirts and I won't go into it too much, but I do have a bad habit of getting drunk at auctions and buying stuff. Um, <laughs> one of the, my best surprises was uh, I forgot I did it until a uh, guy turned up at my door with a big thing and I opened it up and it was a Lionel Messi and a Cristiano Ronaldo signed shirts and I've got them. And, uh, oh, my word. I quite enjoy that. Oh. But yeah, Barcelona for me, I'm not sure why, just a bit of a soft spot. Nice. Yeah, I think for me, it was just that they've had several good players and managers and whatever else, but that Pep era with Barca, yeah. Yeah. just watching them demolish like Madrid, I think it was 6-1 when Henri was there. And you, you just couldn't touch them at the time. They're the best team to watch, best best side I've ever seen. Um, Favourite World Cup or Euros that you've watched? It's got to be, it's got to be all the years have rolled into one now, but the, the most recent one, the, uh, the World Cup Russia. Yeah. It's got to be in it. You know, he was unlucky. We should have been in that final. But, um, yeah, standard England, unfortunately. Um, Favourite ground that you've been to other than the Emirates? Favourite ground that I've been to other than the Emirates? Um, I 
Oh, Wembley I've been to quite a lot. I do like going to Wembley and also it's a good day out usually. But um, but yeah, the other one I'd love to go to and I've never been uh, is Craven Cottage. Oh, do you know, it's one of my favourite away days. I, I absolutely love it down there. My good friend Ryan Humphreys, who's probably going to be listening. Um, Jace is laughing already. Ryan, Ryan is a, a legend, a pint-sized legend, and he's pint-sized for reasons. That's all he drinks. Um, but I went for a, an FA Cup game with him, and we, we were beaten a couple of years ago. But we went down into Putney and over Putney Bridge, and we, we had a whole day down there. Expensive day out, but one of the best away days. And that's the bit I'm missing most with the football. It's not so that's much playing at the moment. The camaraderie. Yeah to go there um, yeah I've been, I've been to quite a few grounds but I've, yeah obviously Wembley uh, means something good to happen I've never seen Arsenal lose at Wembley either um, which is always uh, good But you had to throw that one right in there didn't you right into our rib cage when we had a chance to win the bloody FA Cup and you beat us 4-0 cheers mate right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah Craven Cottage is one on the list having no stand bill and all at the minute but um, I do I do want to get down there that is my one I'd love to go to oh uh, sorry I should have I feel terrible now um, I was there for many years and I went many times Anfield is incredible yeah it incredible it's, it's, it's uh, just Anfield. a footballing church isn't it a soft spot for Liverpool um, as I lived there, but uh, yeah, Anfield was just—it's just tingling. You make sure you stand up on your arms and that incredible. Okay, so we're going to flip that now. The worst ground that you've been to, or your least favourite away ground? Reading. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bluntness of that. A- any reason why? Oh, it's just—it was in Reading. It was just a strange. <laughs> No, I don't. No, I don't want to have a go because I'm not having a go. At it. I uh, no. Reading was we had. It was that game where we won. I can't even. Oh, we had a few drinks. Six four. Stupid six four. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Um, it was. I was. There's ten goals and I didn't see one of them because I literally couldn't see. Uh, <laughs> I was literally going to. I mean, by the way, I wasn't like. I'm no shorter than I am now. I wasn't that young, but I was just going to my dad. What happened? What, what happened? Who scored? Um, and really, right, it was me, uh, my dad, and Jack White's brother Barney. We all we went, us three went. <laughs> Just looking, it was actually it was seven five was the game. Seven five. Yeah, That's seven five. Really and I'll read the scorers out for you. You had Theo Walcott got the first, Olivier yeah. Giroud, Lauren Kachowny. Um, Walcott then got a second in injury time. Then uh, Marwan Shamak, the uh, wow. the man who had a whole wow. pot of brill cream on his head, he scored. Yeah. Then Walcott scored again in the 121st minute. And then Shamak scored again in the 123rd minute. Uh, Reading, they had, I'm not sure who Roberts was, but they had Kachowny own goal, Mikkel Leggettwood, um, they had Hunt, and do you remember Pavel Pogrebniak? Wow. Wow, another blast from the past. Love that. So 7-5. 23,980 in attendance, including yourself. And Emily, uh, Martinez was in goal for Arsenal that night. Can you imagine the scoreline if VAR was involved then? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, nil nil. Three. If VAR was involved, I'd still be there now. <laughs> Just, of course, Roberts was Jason Roberts. That's a name from the past. I was going to say, I thought it was Jason. Yeah, whole yeah, Robson Carnu, Joby McEnough, some good names in here. Jeez. Robson Carnu's still playing, isn't he? He's, um, he's at West Brom. West Brom, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He is. oh, he's about 104 because his name's Carnu. He still gets in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next one, Premier League or non-league? What do you prefer? Non-league's a laugh. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's, it's just the yeah. bread and butter of what football is. Uh, you, like, we all follow them accounts, didn't they? Like Sunday League football. And you just think, like, you just see like these big blokes weighing into each other. And you get you see him kick the ball and you think, oh, he's, he's got a bit of space there. And it still takes him 10 minutes to get from the halfway line to the box because he's a bit overweight. And it's, it's all good fun to watch. We all do it. We all get on the ball and we think we're Jack Grealish and we think we're, you know, um, 
you know, Traore and have all these step overs. But actually, we watch, you watch yourself back, you're moving about a mile an hour, and what you're doing is not that impressive. But um, <laughs> the of football, I'll go non league every day. Brilliant. Do you know what? There was, um, we, we put a tweet out the other day about um, people giving us their best, best gifts about lifting our trophy. <laughs> and uh, one, one, <laughs> one, of our, one of the charity teams, a good, good friend of ours, AFC Yorkies, they're, they're so good on social media. Did you, ever see, um, <laughs> did you ever see the Soccer Aid game when I think it was Boris Johnson played, didn't he? <laughs> and then he just absolutely polacked someone. You think it was Jürgen that... Klinsmann, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was Klinsmann. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but he took him out. It was that that is the bread and butter of of grassroots football, isn't it? Like, oh, the fact he had butts him in the groin—that's the best part. <laughs> yeah. like, that's your prime minister now speaking. Did he get up and just run off and all? Yeah, like, and then Ray, yeah. Ray Wilkins ran over and patted him on the ass. Yeah, proper <laughs> like Roy Keane style, wasn't it? Maurizio Godino was the player that was he had the player he had butted in the groin. But yeah, he'd injured him quite badly. To be fair, it was you so funny. Oh, to be fair, just hold that on the screen. The reason I love that is the second bit down for YouTube, the description of the video is Boris Johnson's diving headbutt to the nutsack. <laughs> Racket spear gore. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of video at two o'clock in the morning I want to be watching. There <laughs> was one there was one year, wasn't there? I can't, I can't remember who's been a pundit on it or something. And uh, Ben Shepherd absolutely snapped someone. And yeah. um they were going, they were getting angry, going, that's why these presenters shouldn't be playing with these players. You know, he's going to injure them, they're going to injure them. And it all got a little bit tasty, didn't it? The one I always remember, there's two. I remember, um, even though it wasn't a, anything nasty, I remember Serge Pitzer, Orno from um, Kasabian scoring a worldie. Oh, oh. I mean, one of the best finishes you'll ever see for he's the rest of the world team. Yeah. Um, and also did the famous goal on Soccer AM where he flicked it up and hit it through the hoop. Um, but the other one is, I remember when Celtic did a charity game for Stylian Petrov, a Celtic and Villa legend, yeah. and Gabby Agbonlahor was playing in a Celtic shirt, and he took out, I believe it was Louis Tomlinson from yes. One Direction, but he, he injured him really badly to the point where the kid was on the pitch throwing up and he ended up being stretched it off. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing then. <laughs> Don't worry, I read it down, it's going to be funny. And I thought, oh, Louis Tomlinson, oh, yeah. But um, it's funny, he's just, just going off track a little bit. You mentioned about the third goal for uh, Soccer AM. I've, I've, had, I've done it twice and I've had two penalties. And um, the first one uh, was so bad, it was wet underfoot, and I literally slipped and oh, fell no. on my ass. And it like peed <laughs> towards the goal. And the worst bit about it was there was an Arsenal game. A Champions League game in the week, and uh, I went up to watch it. And I was in the pub beforehand, and uh, two lads. It was quite early when I went in the pub, and there were two lads watching it being repeat on the telly. And I was at the bar, and I could see them watching it. And they, and it happened. One of them went, "Oh, what an idiot!" Or something like that. Or, and I'm, and I was literally like, "Oh God, keep your head down. You're going to see this." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the, the second one was I was out there, and uh, I got a bit cocky, and I went, uh, "It actually come off quite well." But it had the the old. Uh, uh, was it Noya in goal, and they had the the rocking goalkeeper. Uh, it was in in the goal in the in soccer AM. Yeah, and, so I um, back in the day. I was with Gaza, and um, I went. Oh, this one's for you, Gaza. Top bins, just as I went and done it. And as I've run in, Gaza kicked the ball at the ball I was gonna kick, but I've got the what I kicked the one that he rolled in the way. I flushed it, and it went top bins. I was buzzing, so we had a one. <laughs> oh, that's, that's class. Um, favorite football manager. Uh, favorite football manager. Oh, oh I've got to be Pep. I love him. Yeah, I was wondering whether you were going to say Wenger because I was going yeah, to say, were you one of the people? Yeah. That was... yeah. Wenger for me is, is obviously an absolute legend. I, I love Arsene Wenger. Um, but for someone I just, I don't know, I, I can't take my eyes off Pep Guardiola. I literally can't. 
Uh, I don't know whether it's impeccable dress sense or his tan or his jawline. I don't know what it is. But he, he always looks like he's loving life as well, just a, a, yes. every part of management. Uh, we've all watched the documentary, I imagine. And, yes. um, and it's just, yeah, again, it's just, I, I can't take my eyes off him. I think he's incredible. And that's why I'm, I'm absolutely loving the Arteta era. Although we're not getting the results at the moment, I think we're going to be getting him in a few we'll Yeah, you will. Um, Favourite football film? And we did say last week, um, I'll be just, there's one film in particular, if anybody mentions it, I'm going to walk off. But let's see if it's that one. Favourite football film? Favourite film. Damned United. Oh, brilliant film. Wow. I'll let you yeah, off there. Uh, superb film. film. Nobody thought of that last week. That's a great right. show. Yeah. I'm, still, I'm, I'm still waiting for Kuno Becchio's name to be announced here for, for goal. I'm, I'm still waiting for that to come. Yeah. Somebody's going to say goal. Yeah. Oh, Santiago I, love Nunes. I love goal, but I think, um, yeah, I, the, the acting in Damned United is unreal. Love it. Yeah. Where, where is he when they, when Newcastle need him at the minute as well? I mean, of all the times, they've got no prolific goal scorer. They've got no... Garrett, is it Gavin Davis or Gavin Williams, whatever his name is, the, the forward? can't remember who it is, but you've got Gavin... So long ago. Sorry? I love that film. I love that film. But it's so long ago, I can't remember the last time I watched it. <laughs> was it Santiago Munez or something? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the weirdest scenes in that film is when I think it's his dad or his mum. I think it's his dad is in a pub in Newcastle, oh. and next to him is the guy from uh, ACDC. ACDC. Yeah, the singer from ACDC. <laughs> Trying to get him a pint of Newcastle Brune. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is, in one of those films, like when I think when it, when he came off the last game in, I think it was number one, and he takes that free kick, and it seems to bend at some awkward angle, and the ball travels about four hundred miles before it actually enters the goal. Jeez. Like, <laughs> I think um, VAR are having a look at it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't. VAR the movie. I can see that coming. Uh, yeah. oh, it'll be a five-hour episode and then you have to review Longer it. Oh, Favourite foreign club team? Favourite foreign club team? Um, oh... Uh, yeah, I'm gonna to have to say Barca. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say a nice solid shout. Um, yeah. Which game, if you if you could have a ticket to any game, what game would you like to go and see live? Um, what game would I like to see? any game? Any game? I it's would Cherry versus Nightingale. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I won't be watching it. I'll be I'll be marking Jace. Oh, yeah. uh, hey, there we go. Be mate. <laughs> no, you'll be picking him up off the floor. Uh, any game I'd like to see, um, I would. Well, I'd, I'd love to see England versus Brazil in a, in a World Cup final. Yeah, it's funny because Ollie Monk last week from uh, Angels United said the same. England in the World Cup final. Talk Sport as part of their quiz this week. They actually said, "Do you know how much a ticket is to be sat on the front row for the next World Cup in the final?" Oh. And I was stunned. Forty-two thousand pounds. That's less than boxing, though. But I know, but forty-two thousand pounds to be sat. And they said what that includes. This was the best part. They said for that forty-two thousand pounds, you get a program. Now that set me off straight away when I was listening to it on the way into work. <laughs> well, that's, that's like, that's well bloody does. Um, you get a program. You also get um, a waiter to your seat. You get a six-course meal before the game. Now I don't know about you, but trying to sit down and have a six-course meal before watching ninety minutes of football when you're going to be nervous isn't probably the best shout. Um, yeah. And the best part was it also includes parking. Well, I don't know how many England fans are going to be driving to Qatar, but uh, parking certainly something that would be the least of my concerns if I was going there. Why would you need that, all of that? You're going to go and watch a game of football. 
Absolutely. <laughs> well, exactly. Know, if, if, if you come to mine in Charlie's neck of the woods, it costs you about 42 grand to park anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? See, on the night at Reading, if someone offered it to me, I'd have took it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. You're, you're really selling Reading. Um, <laughs> and the last one, what do you, in your opinion, I didn't have this one in last week, what do you think the biggest derby is in world football? The biggest derby in world football. And that's not Derby County. <laughs> if you're going to go proper derby, Old Firm's got to be up there. Yeah. yeah. I think there's only two for me because people forget the Real Madrid Barcelona at the same. Old Firm, but the one that Jace knows I've wanted to go to all my life and at some point hopefully I will get to. It's got to be River Bocca. Yeah. If, if, again, yeah, another thing on YouTube at two o'clock in the morning if people are looking for something to watch. Have a look at Copper 90. They do some incredible documentaries online, uh, but they do one called Derby Days and they literally get some guy who travels to the city. He takes in both sides of the argument and he went there for the River Bocca Copa Libertadores final a couple of years ago. First time they'd ever met in their equivalent of the Champions League. And when you see and hear the stories of what they've done to each other as fans, we're talking like not just having violence. It goes full on beyond that. There's people who've been killed and all sorts. Um, a real genuine hatred for one another. But at the same time, the story of the city itself, and it's a split between the sort of richer and poorer areas. So if you do get a chance, Copper 90 is a good watch. So I'm that was a nice little warm-up. I'm surprised you didn't say something like the um, the Italian or the, the, the Turkish derbies. Oh, yeah, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce. Yeah, because they're quite mean, aren't they? Jeez. I, th- I think for me, I think I get more, I, I get, because it's closer to home, I think, um, the old firm. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. a little closer to home. But it has that derby feel. I mean, I, I think in the Premier League now, it's just a little bit too... Too much respect. No one wants to concede. No one wants to drop points. Yeah. I've been to Arsenal Tottenham games and I ain't seen a goal. Both of them it's more of a fear of losing than winning the game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's damage limitation when you see it nowadays. But you know, you want to you want to see someone get good eyed in. <laughs> well, that's your uh, that's your warm up done. So now for the bit where we're going to go onto the pitch, I'm going to hand over to Jace. He's going to go through the National Affinity Cup quiz of the week. I'm going to apologise here because where Nick said this isn't like a Russian warm-up, this is pretty much like a Russian full-on uh, exercise workout for you, mate. This is this is vile this week. Um, I've been as fair as I can in somewhat with some easier questions, but some of them I've challenged Nick. Nick seems to be a bit of a, a guru at, at an answer, so I'll always run it through him to see, is it too hard? Is it acceptable? I don't know, but... To be honest to you, mate, just so you know, Charlie, I, I, I probably wouldn't be able to get two of these myself. It's only due to research and reading into this that I can actually find out what the answers are. So, um, I'll put it this my... way, Charlie, anyway, the, the worst you can do is, is come second in the league at the moment because they're only the second yeah. podcast. Yeah. I, like, I like the one where you said uh, there is no right or wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely rights or wrongs here, so we'll see uh... how we get on. 15 questions. You've got um, Ollie last week uh, scored, I think it was nine off the top of my head. Um, so nine out of 15 um, it was. So you've got 15 questions to have a good pop at it, mate. So first question, the fastest goal in the uh, scored in the Premier League history came in 7.69 seconds. Who scored that goal? This is why I hate Zoom quiz. I had it in a Zoom quiz and I still think I made the quiz and I still forgot. Is this Georgie Porter's question? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who it was for. I can't remember who it was. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint. So it was Southampton versus Watford. Yeah, I'm going to say Troy Deeney. Oh, 
no. Sorry, mate. It was Shane Long for Southampton, mate. Incredible yeah. goal as well. I can remember it and picture it right off the top of my head as well, to be fair. Um, so, uh, which Ballon d'Or winning footballer had a galaxy named after them in 2015? Come on, Jace, man. These are ridiculous. I want to say... Think who's won Ballon d'Or recently. Let, let's think. It's it's either one of two players, isn't it? Ronaldo. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there you go, mate. Yeah. So it's called Galaxy Cosmos Redshift 7. So it's nicknamed CR7. There you go. And talking of Ronaldo, next question up for Ronaldo is... Uh, so Ronaldo is cinemas with the number seven, but what other number did he wear at Real Madrid? Oh, Jesus. Um... Fourteen? No, mate, it was number nine. So Raul was actually wearing number seven originally when he joined, which obviously he wasn't going to take that off him. So uh, he ended up wearing number nine temporarily until Raul retired and took over the shirt. What a man as well. Uh, Okay, next one. Who is the only player to win the Champions League with three different clubs? I'll I'll list you the clubs. Ajax. Real Madrid and AC Milan. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I was going to say Ibrahimovic, but it's not, is it? It's not, mate, no. I'll give you another punt. It's mad when you think of his CV, the clubs he's played for. Yeah, yeah. Well, both this man and oh, yeah, Ibrahimovic, yeah. Uh, his nationality is Dutch. Just make it a little bit easier. You're going to pass on it, yeah? Yeah. Okay. It was Clarence Seidorf. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a bit of an old school question, but still. Um, Okay, so who is the oldest football club in the world that is still in existence? So technically, there are two clubs that actually created uh, at the same time. Um, of the Association of Football, that is. And uh, one club is still in existence, but who is that club? In the world of football, the oldest club? Yes. Both English teams, I'll give you that. Going off their stadium, it's Reading. <laughs> um, I just want to give half a point for that. That's brilliant. <laughs> if, if Reading are listening and they want to host any of the games, I'm sure we'd be willing to yeah, come and test right, Steve. I, I love Reading. I'm only joking. Right, okay. So, <laughs> oldest. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. No, I can't. That's a stupid answer. I get all these answers going in my head, but they're. If really I give bad. you another answer, they, they're in, they're in a. I think it's League One, isn't it now? Uh, no, no, League Two. No, they're actually, not even in there, mate. They're in the really? No, yeah, they're in the conference. Wow. Okay. I was, I was gonna say. Go on, Spence. Go on, Spence. You can help out, mate. Not Notts County, is it? It is Notts County. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. The two, the two teams were actually Sheffield Football Club, who no longer exist in Notts County. Uh, a bit of a nice fact out there for football and, and fans. Nick was going on about Juventus earlier. Juventus actually wear white and black in honour of Notts County. There you go. There's a, a nice little fact for you there. Um, just a shame they've never reached any form of Dizzy Heights, Notts County, really. But um, What two grounds are the closest together in the UK? So I'm going to give you a little bit of a narrow that one down. Forget Northern Ireland and forget Wales. It's either England or Scotland. Was it Liverpool-Everton? Oh, oh that's close. very, very close, but it's not, mate. No, 
It's actually Dundee and Dundee United. If you if you Google it, I, I kid you not, I think you could probably poke one stand and poke the other at the same time. It's that close. It's ridiculous. They literally are on the same road uh, an yeah. arm's width away, aren't they? They're, they're just ridiculously close. Ridiculously close. Yeah. Um, so, which club plays at the Amex Stadium? See, look, this is where my bottle's gone. This is why. <laughs> <laughs> But this is this is why when I'm sitting there watching who wants to be a millionaire, right? And I'm up to like quarter of a million quid and I ain't use a lifeline. This is why I say it's definitely harder when you're there. And my missus goes, Why don't you apply? Because my bottle goes. Right? I'll, like I'll, I'll give you a lifeline. Yeah. I'll give you a lifeline. They play. Lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> they, they play in the Premier League. No, I knew that. I just. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you another clue, Charlie. They're on the south coast. Blimey. Brighton. Yes, yeah. mate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Link up play. I'm sitting there and I'm literally panicking going, I've, I've got to get nine here and I've run out of questions already. Don't just get one. <laughs> That's an assist for Spencer there. Goal for yeah, Uh Which club are nicknamed the Toffees? Uh, not West Brom. That's Baggies. The Toffees. It's not, mate. Give no. a bit of a clue. Think about where you used to live. Oh, Everton. Yes, yes mate. Yes. There you go. Baggies, <laughs> and I. Assist for Gary Monk there. <laughs> okay, so uh, who holds the number one position for most goals scored in one season in Premier League? So, ultimately, the most amount of goals in one league for the Premier League. Uh. Was it was it Vardy? Oh, no, I know it, was, it wasn't consecutive, wasn't it? Vardy. It wasn't too far off, but it isn't Vardy, mate. No, it's very recent. I'll give you another shout. Harry Kane. No, but it's not. It's Mo Salah. I just keep saying strikers until I get it right. <laughs> yeah. Mo Salah. Mo Salah with thirty-two goals. Blimey. Um, okay, so which teams play in the second City derby? Say that again. Uh, so, which two teams play in the Second City Derby? Second City Derby. Yeah, so you think the second biggest city in the UK? That's a good one, that. Yeah, that is a good one. I'm sitting in the, uh, sec- well, it's not City United. No, so obviously, if you think, if you think of Birmingham area, it's all West Midlands kind of area. Midlands. Think about terrible accents, that'll give you a clue. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of them sitting right here. Cheers, <laughs> cheers, Ben. <laughs> is it Villa Birmingham? It is Villa Birmingham, mate. Yeah, bang on. Well done, mate. Um, okay, so here's one for you. So one of your Arsenal questions here. Um, Arsenal and Spurs have seen 188 games played between the two sides. Uh, since the Football League was found, oh, sorry, since uh, their first game in the Football League in 1909, who has won more against the other? Arsenal have won more. Bang on, mate. So, yeah, yeah. Arsenal oh, have wow. seven, <laughs> 77 wins for Arsenal, 60 for Spurs, and 51 games drawn between the two sides. Okay, so Marco Materazzi was headbutted by which French international? Zidane. Yeah. Yes, there you go again. There you go. I was going to say Boris Johnson, but he went French. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 
that. You see that? <laughs> I know, he looks French, doesn't he? <laughs> We're going to go for a hat-trick here now, so it's be three in a row if you get this. So who has won the most World Cups? Who's won the most World Cups? Um, is it France? Oh, no, mate, it's not. No, so it's actually Brazil. Um, so Brazil have got five. Germany and Italy have got four. Uh, France and Uruguay have got two off the top of my head. I think that's the order. Yeah, it's quite sad, but that's the order. Brazil, but I didn't know if they'd won. Didn't know if they'd actually took a moment. Of them. I no. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, okay. So uh, here's another one. Who has won more games? So who has won more games out of the El Clasico derby? Madrid or Barcelona? I would say Barca. Okay, this so... This is incredible. This. This is inc yeah, this is incredible. Oh, stuff that I so if you go by exhibition games, which we're not, exhibition games, Barcelona lead by 13 victories. However... In actual league games and games officiatedly or officially played as such, Real Madrid have won 97 games. Barcelona have won 96 games. No way. Yes, mate. Yeah, there's one game of diff literally one game in it. I think you'll find Villa Everton similar. I think it's the old it's the most played fixture in the UK because of when they were both founded. And recently, when we played them all, a year or two ago, it was the fact they were dead level. It was something like 88 wins apiece and the same amount of draws. It's, it's crazy, really, it's think, all the, the ways it goes. Mad, Okay, so last question for you, Charlie. So, who has managed the most amount of Premier League games between Sir Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger? I think it was Alex Ferguson. Was oh. it not? No, it's not, mate. It's so tight, though, again. So, Arsene Wenger had managed 828 games. Ferguson has managed 810 games. So, so close there. But the mad thing is the most successful manager is still Sir Alex Ferguson between that. Yeah. Well, I 100% would have gone Alex Ferguson there. Oh, to be fair, I would have as well. But then when you think about it, when Sir Alex Ferguson had retired... Uh, Wenger went on for was it another two seasons or three seasons after, that, it, five actually wasn't yeah, it five actually. Play, I thought yeah. he was going to end up like you know Future Armour when they put their heads in a jar I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> just had a bit of that with a long duffel coat on the bottom I'm not going to relate to Carnu uh, <laughs> oh that's oh, absolutely God. brilliant they were, they were really good questions and I almost feel like I didn't do it justice because I didn't know enough and i panicked but they were good questions i like that congratulations though charlie you still are second in the league thank you very much <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> <say. laughs> <laughs> you, you got seven you got seven so it's uh, not bad for those questions. score considering those questions the challenge for me now is coming up with another 15 questions for next week so i'm actually starting <laughs> to run out of facts quite quickly yeah, a lot and they're really good questions you've got to, you've got to keep it up now <laughs> he's burnt out after two weeks yeah, yeah you know I, th I think seven correct answers for that question set is actually quite good right? I, yeah. I think because some of those I were would agree. Really I would absolutely agree it, it's better than I would have done no no yeah, word of advice yeah. along the way but uh, no enjoyed that I enjoyed that good, good mate fair play to you well done Charlie 
Right, well, I think that wraps things up nicely for this week. Um, if you do want to check out more about what we're doing, then obviously give us a follow at the National Affinity Cup on Twitter, which is at NAffinityCup. Um, on Instagram, it's national underscore affinity underscore cup. So Jason just lifted the tea towel. <laughs> I don't know if I can just explain people at home. He's put a tea towel over the screen because Charlie's face is still froze on this like pose. I don't know if Spence can send it to you, but it's been like all the way through. So when you're talking... And the mouth isn't moving. It reminds me of Phone Jacker, if anybody's ever watched that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and go back to Facebook. We're just literally National Affinity Cup on there. Um, make sure you keep an eye out for next week's icebreaker. Get involved, send in any questions or queries that you've got and responses to the icebreaker. Anything you'd like us to touch upon. If you'd like to get involved, you want to feature as one of our teams or one of our ambassadors or even one of our sponsors, give us a shout and we'll get back to you as soon as possible as well and get you on board. Thanks to Spencer, to Jason and especially to our special guest, Charlie Wernham. It's been an absolute pleasure tonight. Um, just quickly, Charlie, is there anywhere that you want to sort of post out in terms of your socials so people can get on board? Yeah, guys, no, so guys, I'm just going to keep like, supporting supporting what you guys are doing. I'm really, really excited about what you guys are doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be following the old podcast and uh, I'm going to be chucking in my thoughts. And uh, I really want to about, well, keep an eye on if anyone's any worse than me at that blooming quiz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, guys, listen, I just want to say I, I really commend whatever, what, the work you guys are putting in and um, the work that everyone's putting in behind the scenes. Um, I can imagine how, how, how tough it is. Um, but it's, it's going to be worth it in the end. I'm really, really excited to be on board. And um, yeah, like, you know, just a big thank you to all of those teams that are, are getting involved, all of those players, not just for the getting involved, but for the work they do every single day. So yeah, I'll just leave it with that. Thank no, you. Fantastic. Um, all that's left for me is to say all the best to everybody. Stay safe. And remember, it's not long until we, t- we return to the pitch. Um, so just keep going, stay positive. And as the tournament statement says, today's work is tomorrow's legacy. I'm Nick Sanders. This has been the National Affinity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the National Affinity Cup podcast. And thanks to our sponsors, Players Packs, Sporty Bitch UK, Unites Designs, VO, Awards FC, The Club HQ, and simply The Crest.